You're very welcome on to LOI Weekly. Uh, being honest, I don't know what day it is. I, don't, I hardly know what month it is at the moment, so I certainly don't know what uh, episode this is of the season. Dan McDonald may be able to help on that, but we are here in association with Airsport and Independent.ie. We're in the middle of the lockdown. We're coming up to Easter, but finally we got a bit of sports news that we can actually work, to, that actually had a bit of uh, worth in terms of talking, and that's Stephen Kenny getting the job from Mick McCarthy. And this show is dedicated essentially to Stephen Kenny's appointment and the appointment of the new managerial team. And obviously with a bit of a League of Ireland hue on that, we're going to have Alan Murphy, David Ford and Mark Rossiter in a pretty bumper show, um, despite the fact that there's no football and no football on the horizon in the near future. That's something we'll talk about as well. What is the potential maybe for football to return at some stage, if, if not even uh, full football behind closed doors? So we have lots to talk about. A lot of it will be speculation, but um, such is life at the moment. Dan, how are you getting on during the lockdown? It must have been... Uh, massive relief over the last five, six days to have a big news story to be reporting on, I suppose. Oh, yeah. The last week has actually been fine, to be honest. Um, like m- Most of what we're talking about today isn't really going to be speculation. It's just going to be reflections on, on Stephen Kenny's appointment and people who met him along the way. Um, I don't know if we can go down the road too far about what might happen with football because no one really knows at this stage and it's too early to to really, to really get stuck into it. I mean, we are speaking now just to fill the gaps in for people who like the real-time feel. It is good Friday morning when we're talking. Um, I mean, a couple of years back, it wouldn't be unusual for the pubs not being open today, at least, you know? So, you know, there's yeah. this, this slightly more... It's, it's, this has brought Good Friday back to its roots, you know, today. That's what we, that's what we needed. Um, but, yeah, the, the, there's no doubt that Stephen Kenny News... Uh, we need distractions. I mean, part the fact that some people's, you know, my job or whatever, but generally, like, it's a, it's a small bit of a distraction for people just to talk about what might happen with that um, and, and you know, allow themselves to, to consider it for five, six, seven minutes or whatever it might be. It is still noticeable to me that um, it's not generating the same level of discussion that it would at another time. And that's very natural because there's obviously a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but is there though? Do you know well, what I mean? Like, so if you, what, so what percentage of the news that you're taking in at the moment is coronavirus and what percentage isn't? Because I percent, but Johnny, I'm just, I'm just talking very simple facts about, you know, figures and engagement numbers and stuff like that relative to what it would be if it was a normal time. And it's, it's, it's mad, isn't it? There's no question it's down. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's mad, but I mean, people aren't commuting as much. And it's funny, I think that mm. a lot of people... Uh, and maybe a lot of people who listen to this and we're, we're doing ourselves down here, but you know, a lot of people I know, you know, a lot of the feedback that we would have is people who save it for a trip. You know, they save mm-hmm. it for their one hour going ABC. A lot of people listen to it going to their games on a Friday. If you take that trip out of their day, um, it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 it's a mental thing. People aren't maybe as used to, to sitting down at home and, and putting stuff on. And that's why, the figures for like conventional news and the late late show and a lot of these shows are, are up because you know that they're that they're the things that people are sort of responding to and uh, i'm sure there's a lot of people who might listen to this show not to be sort of generalizing but they may not have other people in their house who want to listen to it all so like you have your alone time when you're traveling it's Pretty easy but there. It's, it's a different thing yeah, no offense i mean I'm, <laughs> I, I hope there's entire families listening to this you know and if the they are, hello you know, like yeah. this, this is where the homeschool hub goes, goes oh, yeah. wrong. You know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, why are they talking about horses and putting a bullet in it or something? You know, so it's a, 
it's a it's a it's an unnatural uh an unhelpful distraction personally like are you are, how are you uh taking in news at the moment are you trying to look for distractions from coronavirus news or are you kind of taking all that in uh like it's it, it's just personal preference i'm probably a bit of a an avid news watcher or not so much news watcher as if i'm sitting here now i would routinely have cnn or sky news or whatever as the backdrop to stuff that i'm doing during the day so you know i might be working away on something but have that on and particularly evening time so i'm probably consuming loads without necessarily sitting down and like staring at the tv and, and like taking it all in yeah but yeah no i would be i think i might be a bit different to you in that that respect you know um like just by tracking your activity like you might be sort of in a different different headspace and you're living with a couple of people so it's a bit different but i would three yeah three yeah at the moment that yeah, is a bit different, very well I think. yeah i'd say it is buzzing. yeah but um, uh it's 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 so it's a bit different so i actually am so i i can't come out here and preach and say stick away from the news when i'm you know digesting it all the time but um married yeah. life as well it's your first uh it's your first obviously uh, pandemic First, first pandemic as a married couple. Um, well, so, hopefully the last one as well. Yeah, N- yeah, not because I want the marriage to end, but obviously you know there's it's that there's no more pandemics. That'd be the the hope. You know? I don't but, want the marriage to end. Just to clarify, you know, just to be to be absolutely one hundred percent clear. Um, what about the marriage of Stephen Kenny and the FAI? Yeah, so this was the news that broke last was last Saturday. It was, um, and. It's, it's a strange one because I suppose we didn't record last week. Obviously, we should say people will be aware of this. We didn't record because, uh, yeah, just just for the reasons of the, the the virus, we just we gave it a miss for a week. But for, for logistical reasons and a few other things, but um, there was a sense around say say last Tuesday, Wednesday, the time we normally record that uh, well, once the game in Slovakia was called off again, the June game was definitively called off. That there was a feeling that. Um, they were FBI were going to move quickly on this, but even still, the extent to which they moved quickly, I have to say, I was slightly surprised by that. I thought it might be within a week or two weeks rather than within mm. two to three days, or in fact, 24 hours, really, in terms of how they moved on with it. And uh, yeah, they, they very quickly made the decision to, to make the change. And uh, I know that we don't, we wouldn't normally devote a podcast to international team matters, but obviously with Stephen Kenny, it's a bit different because he is someone who's so inextricably linked with the, the League of Ireland. And a lot of the discussion of, of Stephen Kenny's appointment um, goes back to the League of Ireland in some way and people's perception and view and, and, and opinion of it. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I've obviously encountered that. And it, it's, it's a bit strange, you know, because... Uh, like there's there's a lot of probably misconceptions. There's a lot of lazy um, generalizations and 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 viewpoints out there. The I, I, I love I love the fact that there's a view there, for example. And you can't tackle all of these things because you know that's just life. You know, people are talking about these things, and the Irish manager's job is the biggest role in the country. So everyone has an opinion on it. So you can't really get annoyed by what people say. But like some of these uh, comments, well, you know, Stephen Kenny's main cheerleaders is like a like a cohort of a uh, League of Ireland followers, and uh, that's who wanted him to get the job. And there is no doubt that, that John Delaney probably had that populist aim in mind when he he made the decision. But I think it's funny. I think some of the people that are most likely to say turn on Stephen Kenny first or would have reservations would actually be from the League of Ireland that's very true. fraternity or whatever it might true. be. 
and some of his biggest supporters um, may not be League of Ireland people at all. And I mean, I don't like those terms. I would, one of the things I hope that happens over time is that if, if Kenny succeeds, that it sort of normalises football as a heading and, and, and everyone comes under it. Um, but at the same time, there is almost this sense that the Kenny era is almost like a referendum on the League of Ireland in a way, and that mm. if Kenny works, that's great because the next Kenny, the next you know, coaching star that comes through the league won't have to cope with the question of what, what about Kenny? You know, and yeah, I think... Well, well, I you think know, and, and this is the, this is Brian Kerr thing. I'll let you come in now, sorry. Mm. But like, I, I know like, Stephen Kenny is a mad on the Brian Kerr comparison and I, I can understand that. Like, you know, they're, they're quite different people and probably different philosophies, different 100%. backgrounds. Kerr got the job on the strength of really, like, it wasn't his St. Pat's work. It was six, seven years with the underage teams and unbelievable success that got him the job whereas Kenny got on the strength of, of club football work and just different things with how their teams would play but because their backgrounds are similar didn't play football at a high level at all they coached Charlie I understand the comparisons but I think like people wouldn't say well Chris Hewton is the same as Nick McCarthy because they both played in Euro 88 and they're you know they're, they're men of a certain vintage who've worked in English football. There's a recognition that people who've worked in the English game at different levels are different people, different personalities, different characters. But because Kenny and Kerr are from the same place, there's almost a sense of, well, they're going to be the same. And I know part of that is how players may perceive them in the dressing room, and I, I appreciate that. But I just think some of the, the generalizations around that are, are quite simplistic. And people don't really understand that. You, know, you, need to, you need to get on board with what the League of Ireland is like, lads. There's a certain percentage of begrudgery here that you really have to acknowledge that there's a lot of people probably within the League of Ireland uh, cohort or whatever who would sort of, you know, they, they, they've had issues with Stephen Kenny over years and clubs he's managed. And while they want Ireland to do well, they wouldn't be necessarily tearful if he failed. You know, so this is just some of the things that people need to be aware of in terms of there's not exactly one big parish just cheering um, for Stephen Kenny. Um, yeah. So this is just one of the factors of it. Like I saw one fan of another club saying on, on Twitter that Kenny was always a whinger about referees. I saw another fan from another club goading uh, Shamrock Rovers because at that time Shamrock Rovers hadn't issued a tweet congratulating their former manager and getting the job. I don't know if they did. I couldn't give a damn if they, they did. did they, they did didn't. in the end. They mentioned right. like uh, Who cares? Kenny Crawford and was it? Yeah. Stuff. 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 Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. For, which is fair enough. So you have no, all like that. They shouldn't like, be under pressure. Like I. I yeah. 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 Like clubs putting out a statement again, that actually builds up the belief that this is the the, the league's man. And well, I think yeah. we know that that is the case to a degree. Like, I just want him to succeed as Ireland manager, so that in future, in five, ten years' time, that whoever comes on the the scene and the game is hopefully going to change over the next five, ten years with Brexit and the the role that the league of Ireland will have to take in football generally. That hopefully, whether it's who, I don't know who it's going to be. You know, Pat Dolan tips someone every different week to be the next Ireland manager, as you know. Like, you know, Often whether to themselves. Yeah, like Stephen Bradley or whoever. But they don't have to face the same stuff So that, so that Kenny does. So that's why it's important that Kenny does well, yet at the same time, he can't be used if it doesn't go well to, to, yeah. to denigrate everyone I, within the league. He doesn't, I think it's important. Person. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for the managers in the league because not, not that many managers went from the League of Ireland and made a success elsewhere. You know, you look at Finland and Kenny... Did what they did well, in Irish-born ones. 
like yeah. Michael O'Neill. Mick O'Neill, obviously, and Cookie and lads like that would say yeah. did well or whatever, but it's not. So I think that that will be, the managers will be looking on and hoping that he does the job. But like Kenny and Brian Kerr, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you there. You can't really compare them at all. And that's, I, I think Brian Kerr would be much more pragmatic in terms of his manager than Kenny. The, the, we get into the press conference, but it was all about espousing the, pos- the positives and stuff like that. And one other thing that I, I was just thinking about, like, up until even up until even he got the twenty ones job, and when he got the twenty ones job, how many opinion pieces were written in a in a national paper about Stephen Kenny, and how many people would actually even read them because he was a League of Ireland man, and even when he was doing things for Dundalk and that amazing twenty sixteen run, then like the the stuff can go on in the League of Ireland that, that the Irish international fans will just not really take any notice of, and overnight the difference in terms of as you're saying that the people may turn on him at some stage the difference in scrutiny on him in terms of opinion pieces every paper would now write an opinion piece on Stephen Kenny and that's never been the case for a League of Ireland manager because it just doesn't get the headlines and I think that's going to be very interesting for him when he's like say he has to deal with deal with questions like what does he make for World Cup in Qatar or questions like the Robbie Keane one but about players and like people that eventually get kind of quite deep into questioning him. I think that's going to be really interesting and how he deals with that and sort of media pressure in terms of people that write opinion pieces. Say if we're going home in the Slovakia game, we get well beaten or stuff like that. But I think it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. First of all, I want to clarify for people. Michael O'Neill, of course, is Irish-born, depending on your perspective. And we know that Michael O'Neill is. I know, I know your opinions on that if people you know, dispute that topic. And I, I probably agree that he's Irish-born. But let's not go there. Um, he's Irish born anyway. I, I know exactly, yeah, yeah. But like we're talking about for the, the, the Republic born of, the of Ireland. Well, but, but yeah, the point you make about Kenny is true. I mean, it is different. There would have been quite a few opinion pieces about Kenny in, in twenty sixteen, but it's different when you're the, the there's no doubt that the League of Ireland clubs in Europe and I mean I would be part of that coverage to a degree that like generally they are the underdogs, so everything they do is a pleasant surprise. So most of the coverage is, is very positive. Um and it's almost like, you know, it's, it's like a, an underdog on a FA Cup run or something. It's, it's different with expectation. Now, I mean, he would have handled expectation to a degree at Shamrock Rovers and Dunfermline and, and various times. But there's no doubt, like, he has thrived at Derry and Dundalk and places where he had so much credit in the bank in the early days that he didn't have to face any sustained period of criticism. If you're managing Derry and Dundalk, you're going to face criticism locally if things are going badly. But he was always in such a position of strength there that he was never going to face it how will he cope um, with that should it come around but, well i don't know i'm i mean i wrote a piece in the paper for today and i, I must admit my head's getting a bit wrecked by by people going on about well what how look what what how should he handle the media in respect with respect to uh you know this is like stuff that come out from leaked fei memos that we need to worry about his communication skills and uh, this is the JD what's he going to be like? Like there is a, almost a responsibility for people to know him, that know him and are aware of him, to like that point out that like what's normal behaviour for him may not be normal for other managers. But, but you know the, what the strange thing about that is, Dan? Like he is really, really good message. He's top class with his no. Message. But this my point is, Steve, so we'll, we'll go to Stephen Kenny in a minute. But Stephen Kenny yesterday was himself, right? Uh, when he did all the press, he was Stephen Kenny as we know him. And with a camera in front of him and no one there, like. he was. But he was better at that. And like, if people think that he should somehow become some kind of communication communications clinic clone, you know, could, could it turned into this DCC. sort of morphed morphed into some kind of robot diplomatic robot who, who starts Selling talking the message. about 
well, I don't want to, you know, I, I need to talk about, uh, I need to talk about what could go wrong here or, you know, for self-preservation to go down the road of talking about the players that Ireland don't have and, and just, you know, to become one of those cliche machines. Like that, if I, see, if I start seeing Stephen Kenny talking in those terms, I'm thinking he's lost out here. Like he was hired because he's Stephen Kenny. He was hired to be Stephen Kenny. And what will come across in the show today from the guests that we speak to is like the, the, the unique aspects of his character which have endeared him to players over the years. And if he loses that and people who get around and in his head start talking to him too much about, well, this almost needs to change you in some way, then, then you would worry about the job. And, and in fact, I think that was one of the mistakes really that Brian Kerr made, that um, he probably had a lot of people around him at that time. And, and there was almost a sense, because he was a homegrown manager, that the barriers needed to be placed there. And it didn't work. And I don't think the Kenny era will work unless he stays true to the, the, you know, the, the, the mentality that got him there. Because he, he speaks in a way that makes people want to dream and believe for a minute. Absolutely. And he shouldn't be afraid to do that, even if at times he will offend people and probably did offend some people yesterday, previous managers, by speaking about players they should have picked and a style they maybe should have played in. But that's what he believes. He's spoken before about you know, how he didn't enjoy Jack Charlton's Ireland and whatnot. So he can't suddenly deny his past. You know, that, Absolutely. that, would, that, would, Absolutely. Be, that would be to, to, to give in a small bit. So, but listen, maybe I, let's, I go to, let's go just to the before we go to Just yeah. before we go to uh, Stephen Kenny, can you explain what this was like as a journalist yesterday? Let's, how talk, about, let's talk about it after. Let's talk about it. Let's go to Stephen Kenny audio first and then we can discuss the, uh, we can discuss the, the day afterwards because there was, serious, there, was, there was particular segments of this and... Uh, what we have here now is is uh, basically six minutes of, of, of Kenny or so, six and a half minutes of Kenny with Cottle Dervin, the FAI press officer, for a section of the, of the interview day yesterday that was broadcast questions. And here is uh, six minutes or so of, of Stephen Kenny speaking to Cottle. Yeah, it's surreal times, really, obviously, with the current crisis. Um, it's difficult to know whether to do interviews or not, but I think people need something to look forward to. You know, I think, yeah, it is, a, it is you know, the ultimate honour for me to be um, man to manage Ireland. And, you know, it's a huge privilege and proud day for, for all my family. And, of course, once the European Championship playoff got postponed in June, did you expect everything to be fast-tracked as quickly as it was? You know, it was, quite, it was very unfortunate, really. You know, the, the, the games, the game against Slovakia was cancelled in March and now it's cancelled again in June. So... Obviously, that, that decision was only made last week, so it all happened very, very quickly. And um, it is very unfortunate for, for Mick McCarthy and his team. And I think, yeah, from, from my point of view, um, now the playoffs could be late in the autumn. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the way it's happened, really. And I look forward to, to taking over now. Have you spoken to Mick at all? I have, yeah. Like Mick is, Mick is um, uh, you know, he's had a tremendous career as a player and a manager with Ireland and you know I think uh, he wishes the team well for, for 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 all of the games coming up. And in terms of Robbie Keane then, he's not part of your background team. Was that your decision, Steve? <laughs> Listen, I have the of the height of respect for Robbie Keane for what he's achieved in the game. Okay? He's been Ireland's best ever goal scorer. I think uh, from my point of view, uh, you know, I wanted my own backroom team in and I think Keith Andrews has been my assistant the last 15 months and I have a very good rapport with him Keith has coached at 16, 17s and 18s with the Irish uh, international setup and, and with the under 21s with me 
with uh, with I like clearly defined roles, Damien Duff. Um, you know, been so the reports coming out of Celtic has been actually outstanding at Celtic this season. And I think uh, he's been with the Ireland under 15s coaching, Shamrock Rovers coaching, and now it's Celtic. And, you know, that's uh, together with Alan Kelly, uh, which is his very specific role as goalkeeping coach, that's that's the immediate background team. Gary Owens from the FBI has said that the playoff, he, he, ideally, he would like it to be in November. So are, are, are you worried that it might be the first game of September? Would you prefer it to be November as well? I'm not worried about anything. I think. Um, you know, I think if it is the first game, I'll make sure the team is prepared. And, you know, there's no doubt about that. But most likely scenario, apparently, is that it will be possibly late October or even November. So if that is the case, that will give me a run of, run of games. I think the thing about it is that we've got six uh, Nations League games this year. We've got Wales, Finland and Bulgaria home and away. We've got the playoff against Slovakia and a possible final. And we've got the World Cup qualifiers in in in, in March, which is amazing to have three three uh, three competitions like that. And um, you know the way I think about it, I would you know the, the possibility exists if we qualify for the Euros that we'll actually have 14 competitive games you know in, in the calendar year and three or four friendlies as well. So it's gonna there's never gonna be a season like that. If we can, if we can go and qualify and beat Slovakia, you leave the under twenty one, Stephen, well placed for European Championship qualification. First of all, Jim Crawford, you're leaving them in very good hands. And secondly, are we likely to see a lot of those players now promoted up to the senior squad? I think Jim Crawford's had a brilliant career, and you know, some sometimes under the radar, but he was Ireland's under eighteen manager, and he gave that up to come in and assist with the under twenty ones. Voluntary gave it up and said. I'll go, I'll go with that. And, you know, he's been a big part of our under... You know, I think the under-21 team, we were ranked fourth in the group uh, behind Italy, Iceland and Sweden. We're winning the group now with, with three games to go. We got to the semi-finals of the Toulon tournament and we won the best... One of the best um, under-21 team, teams now in Europe. Now, you could, you could honestly say that uh, uh, with the performances over the last year. So I think Jim uh, and John O'Shea who's got great international experience and just started his coaching career at Reading. That'll be a great combination. And can we expect to see a lot of those players promoted? I think, you know, over a period of time, I think uh, initially, uh, you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to view and see who's available. I think it'll depend on uh, the pre-season, who's playing in first teams at that period. And that can determine a lot. I, you know, I don't see radical changes with the squad that exists. It won't be radical. And I think, because uh, I think, you know, so impressed with the back four that we've got. And that gives you a great platform. You know, in the last game against Denmark, the back four, Matt Hart, Ian Stevens, John Egan and Shane Duffy were terrific. Seamus Coleman was suspended. He's been such a brilliant servant for Irish football. And Kieran Clark played a half in that, in that game as well. So those six, you've got a great platform. You know, I think, you know, we've got to we've got to improve the, the rest of the team in relation to how we're set up and, and from an attacking point of view and, and how we can control games. And I think that's the challenge now um, going forward. And what will your Ireland team be about? What's your style? Is are you going to bring the same attacking style from the twenty ones? Yeah, like I do think I've been blessed, given an opportunity. I'm not going to waste it. 
life is short and I think we'll have I want people coming to the Aviva Stadium looking forward to coming knowing that they're going to see a team really passing the ball well with a great with real creativity and, and hard work also we mustn't lose the Irish values that we have and I think um, so that's very important to me Right, Dan, I suppose that was kind of a, a synopsis of a lot of the stuff that would be in the papers today. But um, obviously the Robbie Keane thing was going to garner headlines. I thought he answered that in a very Stephen Kenny type of way. He spoke up of Robbie as a character. Um, you know, Kenny was obviously very awkward about the Robbie Keane question for the last few months in general. But uh, what did you make of it all? Yeah, I mean, that wasn't, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe that as a synopsis of what was in the papers because that was questions more so coming from the official end of things. But the touch on Robbie yeah. Keane and... Some of those, those. I guess the headlines for for. Yeah, he he dealt, he dealt with the Robbie Keane thing. I mean, the Robbie Keane issue for me is like uh, he wanted to pick his own backroom staff. It wasn't Kenny's problem. Uh, he inherited a problem from John Delaney. This bizarre deal that 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 even was foisted upon Mick McCarthy. Never mind on uh, Stephen Kenny. And again, I, I I think like I do think there's a subtle language that sometimes people are using with regard to Kenny that he should be happy to have the job. So he should be happy to take to almost accept whatever you know is given to him and because Stephen Ken- uh, Robbie Keane is a much bigger name than Stephen Kenny and he played for his country he's a legend that in some respects how almost there's a tone it's an undercurrent there of how could he possibly how could Stephen Kenny possibly tell Robbie Keane he doesn't need him which is to me is like just just uh, an interest in mindset and 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 you're talking about Robbie Keane not being shown respect now there's no doubt the FBI could have handled the Robbie Keane situation better, but he's he's not entitled to a job because of his playing record. Um, he's he's entitled to respect and should have been dealt with better for someone who's you know his commitment to Ireland has never been in doubt, and there's no money in terms of playing for Ireland during your career. You know, like that's not that's not what what players do it for. There's, there's the days of international football being worth massive endorsements and whatnot compared to their club wages. It's gone. It's not club football is where the money is now. So international is really about commitment. So there's no doubt in Robbie's uh, credentials on that. Now he's been given a, a mad deal. But Stephen Kenny, like you want, he has learned from mistakes of the past. People keep going on about, well, he failed in certain places as though he mightn't have learned from it. And like mm. he has learned from it. And why things have worked for him in recent years um, is because he's gone in somewhere and had his own staff from the start and had people around him that he trusts and he knows and they have a clearly defined role. And to, to, to upset that by throwing in someone he doesn't need who would be paid more than both of the assistant managers that he does need and want. Um, he, like people, again, there was a lot in what Stephen Kenny said yesterday. And it was just, there was those interviews like that, shorter, sharper ones. He did an hour or so with, like I was in two long, hour-long Stephen Kenny sessions with all sorts of questions coming in. And it's almost impossible to contextualize them all. He was sitting in his living room or, you know, at home. At one point, his son went by with the lawnmower outside and interrupted the interview. So this is very different to Mansion House and the RDS, um, you know, the, 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 the previous grand unveilings of previous managers. But I sort of liked it in a quirky way because yeah. it's like, this is a homegrown manager at home, like quite literally at home. Like, you know, uh, his wife had to come over and turn it off at the end of one of the interviews, you know, turn off the yeah. screen. I don't think he's the most tech savvy person you'll have out there. But you alluded to um, the, what he does have is a plan of, of what he wants to do. Yeah, and, and he's explained how Keith Andrews will have a particular job. Damien Duff will have a particular job. He'd been to the pro license course this year. That actually, interestingly enough, Damien Duff, Keith Andrews, and Robbie Keane were all on. And 
Duff at the end of it was, and he mentioned this, was chosen by the other participants to give a presentation to the entire course. And maybe at some European event, he was their guy. And, and I think that the, the reasoning behind appointing Duff is that he feels he's, he's, a, he's a modern coach who's working at Celtic, is very much on top of trends and what's going on in the game. Andrews similarly is very good. And, and like, this is one of the points that people from a League of Ireland perspective are, are aware of or people around it that the Stephen Kenny isn't necessarily a brilliant coach. He's not, uh, uh, he's not, as much as he has a philosophy and a vision of how the game will be played, he's always leaned on coaches at, at all of his jobs who've had a very important uh, you know, place and, and, and in terms of the day-to-day. And he is a manager who oversees it all and pulls it all together and, and inspires people with belief and, and whatnot. So like, his management team was, was coherently put together. And to, if he had suddenly... Again, if he had suddenly agreed to Robbie Keane going in there, I would have been worried because then you're oh, thinking yeah. he's already compromised. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, has. absolutely. It's, it's, you mentioned the wages that Robbie is on versus the others. Like, this is a remarkably prudent deal for all these coaches relative to what we've become accustomed. Yeah, no, well, I mean, the, the, the madness years of, of the salaries, you know, you would hope are, are, are over. And you can't have a team that's ranked wherever in, in Europe, you know, in the sort of 30s or 20s, 30s in Europe. Um, probably 20s with the Nations League but whatever uh, that that are paying top five wages um, and this is just all part of the bloated warped uh, FAI that, that existed under John Delaney and again for people listening watching this you know in the League of Ireland world again if you see again over the weekend uh, people read that Terry Connor was earning around 240,000 euros a year Robbie Keane, you know, going up to, you know, his contract peaking at that amount, which again is two and a half times what the league winners um, secure, you know? So it's, it's like, the, the, but, but that was the, that as a product of the era where like the, 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 the money was no object when it came to the senior international team. And that was because the association's financial health revolved around them qualifying for tournaments. So in a weird way, you can see how they ended up in that place. Um, because it was all weighted up against, well, we'll pay X amount for this team, but they'll get 9 million if they get through. But it wasn't value for money, even if they had achieved it. Like, you can't be paying the assistant manager, um, you know, that kind of money for X amount of days per year. I can understand the manager taking a big enough salary out of it um, because of the scrutiny and the profile that comes with it. But an assistant manager in international football, that's basically paying a scout and a part-time coach uh, an obscene amount of money when people elsewhere, again, you've got women's in teams a bank change, organization as well. changing tracksuits in the airport and whatnot. Yeah. So I just, I just, I want to. It's a disgusting organization, and and that that obviously cannot be the template going forward. I want to, I want to get your point on this. I, I know Emma Malone wrote about this during the week, and that like this being football, this will never happen. But like Mick McCarthy's getting a bonus if we qualify, and obviously you've the you've the Robbie Keane situation, like. Should there not be some sort of consideration here for the finances of the organization? Essentially, these lads don't need the money. And as a gesture, if these are national heroes and general national heroes, does, does Mick McCarthy really need a bonus should we qualify for the Euros? We were essentially there only by proxy to the playoff system anyway because of the Nations League. So why does Mick need a bonus if we qualify, even if it's in his contract or not? I mean, Mick didn't, if we qualify, Mick didn't qualify us. Nobody can say he did. Yeah, we all, we all wrote about the bonus, John. You're just reading one paper. But, um, the, the, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I take your point on that, but, like, it's, it's easy said. Like, if someone agrees a contract with you, you know, you, you would argue that you're entitled to 
to take it. And uh, like, uh, you know, Mick McCarthy and Robbie Keane, for, for example, I'm sure they're very financially, very, very financially secure. I, can't, I can never say that with certainty because you never know what costs people have in their lives. But you would assume that they are. But I just think that's a very easy thing to say. And it always seems to be labelled that footballers and people in football in particular. Uh, and we've seen that across the water with the, the situation at the moment where, you know, the, 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 there's an issue with, say, Premier League wages and, and these people. And why don't they give their money back relative to, you know, people in other industries who earn massive amounts of money and never get... But how, how would Mick McCarthy think it right to get a bonus for something that he didn't really achieve? He didn't achieve it. He, he managed to finish us in the, get us in the top four. Look, I, I, I know what you're saying, and, and, but Stephen Kenny got the job because contracts are being honoured. Mm. That, that's, that's, you, you, the people who wanted Stephen Kenny to get the job, he got the job because contracts were honoured. That was the, the FBI made the decision. Well, we didn't give these crazy contracts, this, you know, this handover plan. So, but the easiest thing for us to do here is to honour contracts that have been given. You can't suddenly a la carte start picking out the things that are contract that you like and the things that you don't like. Because if you start doing that, then, then you start thinking about, well, maybe we didn't need to give Stephen Kenny the job now. So they had to, they had to believe or follow some policy uh, to, to deal with this situation. And if they suddenly started changing it up, um, then like, it, it becomes just a bit more complex for them. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay this amount, we'll honour this, we won't honour that. But then you're not honouring contracts. And then you've lost some of the moral high ground you've adopted initially by, by taking this stance. Yeah. I, I do agree with you. I think in Robbie Keane's position in particular, and we are speaking on, on Good Friday now, so this could be trashed out by the time some people listen to this. But you'd like to think that it could be done in such a way that, like, you don't want to burn bridges, any of the people involved. Um, in terms of Nick and his bonus, yeah, and I, I think that, to be honest, in terms of the PR, you know, with the public, I think that some of this has probably played out badly for Mick, you know, the exit package deal that he got. I think it's probably eroded um, a certain amount of the, the sympathy, you know, or goodwill towards him um, because of this, you know. So I think that that's, that's, that's something that while, yes, he may still get his money, um, I, I, it's obviously probably, in many respects, a lot of the stuff that come out about the money he was due made people think, well, but this just has to end now uh, because we can't spend any more on this management team. But let's... let's before let's, we get let's, to the three lads, yeah, just one last question for you before we get to three lads. What was your main... What, what struck you most about the interview? What was, what, was there something in particular he said that you thought, right, that's quite interesting that he said that? Or was there some tone that he struck? No, just what struck me was that he was being himself and that he wasn't being too diplomatic. He, he, he almost, at times, probably struggled to disguise some of his feelings. Um, with respect to, well, you know, aside from Gibraltar, the only one one game out of six in the, the campaign was, was something that he said. And uh, speaking, you know, how he wants the team to, to, to be better, you know, to, to, to excite people. And um, he, he, I just like, and yeah, there was other stuff about individual players and stuff like that. Um, you know, you're trying to get a handle on, on how you think some players will fare. And we maybe discuss that later on, the other side of the interviews with the lads. Uh, but who might thrive? Like again, there was so much stuff yesterday. Like James Talbot got a mention yesterday, for example, and uh, in in his in his sort of a his, his his he he's gone big time into like how Alan Kelly is very analytical. That's why he appointed him and on about the five keepers between the age of twenty to twenty two, twenty three, and he mentioned Talbot and that. So clearly he rates him. So that's something that maybe Bose people might not have been aware of. 
Um, but yeah, I think it was just a general tone that this is going to be, hopefully, the Stephen Kenny era properly. Like, that he will come in and practice what he preached before. And it's easy to say that when you haven't got a game for five months and, and there's no pressure. And word, they, every single... Like, Steve Staunton was an impressive Ireland manager at the start too. You know what I mean? So, like, it's... I, I, it's very hard to go wrong on your first day. It's like, well, this plan mm. is working. Bobby Robson, Steve Staunton. Yeah, this, this might work. Uh, it's, it's time that will prove it. Um, but, but I think that we are going to see something that's going to be different. Whether that's right or, or wrong, we'll see. But we are going to get the Kenny way. And I think that that's what enthuses me, that we are going to... Um, he's going to try out some theories that he's probably thought about over the years and uh, they're going to be tested. But we wanted to go back into the the origins of Stephen Kenny. So like the three people we're speaking to today, we've got Alan Murphy, uh, who worked with him at Longford, joined Longford early enough in the, the time there. Then there's David Ford at Derry and Mark Rossler at Dundalk. So um, yeah, we went to Alan Murphy first, uh, John. We did. Uh, it's funny. I was on YouTube the other night and I came across footage of Kenny when uh, he'd just gotten the Longford job. And, he, and they actually show him giving the team talk. They're playing Kilkenny. And they're like, listen, you were called offside loads of times you played Kilkenny in the first uh, day of the season, the first time you played them. And be, be wary of this. And it was a very young Vinnie Perth at the top. And all these players, you're trying to remember them. This was a bit before Alan Murphy's time. Alan Murphy joined and won a couple of uh, FAI Cups with Longford. And uh, he spoke to us earlier on. Uh, I guess the only place to start is what is life like uh, in the lockdown for Alan Murphy? Yeah, it's, uh, well, as I was saying to Dan there a minute ago, uh, obviously uh, working with permanent TSB on the mortgage side of things is uh, is uh, very, very busy over the last uh, three weeks. So, uh, But we're doing a bit for the, for the country uh, and looking at, uh, after all the uh, mortgage holders. So uh, it is very, very busy. Home life is, uh, I've got four kids, so they're, um, starting to go a little bit stir crazy at the moment but uh, apart from that listen uh, everybody's healthy so it's the most important thing what's it actually like with kids in the lockdown because it's hard enough with um, you know adults what's it like with kids yeah um, well I've got uh, uh, three girls uh, they're busy enough uh, the eldest girls uh, just in secondary school so she's uh, still got a bit of homework to do they give her a couple of months but the little fella is mad football um, what does he make so of Stephen he- Kenny yeah, yeah, he met, he actually met Stephen a couple of times, so he's uh, he's delighted that uh, that uh, Stephen is the the, yeah. the new word. Yeah, let, let's get back on 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 theme here. So, I mean, we are this is sort of our our our, our Stephen Kenny specialist, such and and maybe like the first time you encountered him in a, in a well in any capacity, Alan. Yeah, to be quite honest, I was playing with um, Drogheda United. Uh, I think I was nineteen twenty at the time. And um, I was after we got relegated, and I think we were half favourites to get back up again in the in the first division. And that was my first time encountering Longford Town. Didn't really, you know, it didn't really dawn on me, uh, and it didn't really um, hit home that year. But um, the following year, Jordy and I got relegated, and uh, my first real encounter with Stephen was when he came to sign me or tried to meet me uh, in um, the old Dublin Airport Hotel. Um, and it was uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting encounter. <laughs> needless to say, go on, go on. It, it was just it was it was probably my first time uh, uh, just meeting someone as as probably as passionate uh, about about football and about uh, Longford Town. It was it was unreal. Like I remember meeting him, and he uh, he had a plan of the. Um, so if you remember Longford Town, it was a little uh, it was a town of Cadham Hill. 
uh, yes. to the side, and he had plans for the galvanized shed. And that's all it was at the time. And he was there. Uh, I remember he was just, Yeah, he was just he was just super excited about showing me the plans for this galvanized shed. But it was it was hard not to um it was hard not to get carried away with the guy. Um he was such a such an infectious guy to be quite honest with you. Is there any part of you thinking, you know, is this is this guy like uh, is there, there's something quite different about him when you meet him, especially for the first time, isn't there? This you you do kind of come away from it, and you you think about the I suppose the meeting more than once uh, subsequently. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think uh, um, Stephen was quite a you know he had this he had this uncanny nature of getting up close in front of you, and. Uh, you know, I think everybody remembers one of his horse interviews on when he did a co-commentary, and I think he nearly headbutted the, the camera for the, for the whole night. But uh, yeah, as I said, it was just this in uh, it was just this uh, sort of passion and uh, this. In, he was just very infectious, I suppose, just the way to describe it. Like at the time, I was uh, also meeting with um, Pat Dolan with um, uh, St. Pat's who. Two years previously, had won the league, and um, and to be fair, genuinely, um, there was there was no question for me. I wanted to join Longford Town. Uh, Why was that? And that was pure and simply down to down to Stephen. He, you know, listen, I'm a right back. I'm not. A, I wasn't a centre midfielder. I wasn't a centre forward. And um, the idea that he was trying to go and build a team around me. Now I know it was a load of, <laughs> but. You know, you left, and that—that's—that's that's what he—that's what he was like. You know, the first ever team in football history to be built around the right back. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but you, you know? believed him. I did, you know, and uh, and and you know, listen, as the as the as the couple of years progressed, um, there was other little moments like that as well, where where he was uh, he was he be he be pulling you over to the corner and he'd be saying, you know, this match is about you and so forth and so on, you know, so. Uh, but that was Stephen. That was Stephen, yeah. Because one of the, I mean, the remarkable aspect of the Longford story, I know you came into it later than others, was that you would have been joining a dressing room with some guys who'd been plucked from Leinster Senior or whatever it might have been. And Stephen himself like, didn't have a, a playing career to speak of. I mean, I know he'd been away at Oxford and home farm yeah. and so on. But like, did you ever think about his age? Because he would have been quite young at that time. I mean, I don't know. He was 26 when he started. Around that time, you're talking, what, 30, 31? Um, like, that's, you know, it can be a sometimes unusual dynamic when you have a younger manager. But was that something that, that came across? So did you ever think, God, this guy is not massively older than me here? Uh, a little bit. I think now, in, in fairness, he had a lot of mercy. He had Christy alongside him, who was, uh, who was an elder statesman who, who held it. But yeah, it was a, it was a it was a very it was a very strange environment for me coming into, because even though Drogheda United were a bit of a at the time up and down club, they'd either win the uh, first division or um, probably get relegated at the time. I I still probably felt that Drogheda United as a club uh, probably had a had a grander standing than Longford. So when I came, it was a real. Uh, it was a real weird and strange environment. And as you said, a lot of Leinster Senior League players and everything like that. But whatever it was, um, he gelled them together. And it was, uh, it was, it, it was as everybody knew Stephen was the manager. But it was as if um, it was a very much, it was a unique culture. Mm. I did, you know, I don't know how to really describe it. But, 
but it was sort of like Longford against the rest of the League of Ireland um, as such. And did he sort of, when, when he brought that you know, group of players together, was there a ruthless streak to him as well that you know, if, 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 if you were taking it a bit easier, you weren't on your game? Because obviously he comes across as a very likeable, nice fella. Yeah, he is. And I think back then, to be quite honest with you, I've seen a couple of things written and, and spoken in the last probably uh, week or two, uh, two in relation to Stephen's ruthless uh, side. I think back then, Stephen was probably learning his, his trade as a manager, to be quite honest with you. Um, more so, I would, I would, to be quite honest, I wouldn't have said I've seen that ruthless side of Stephen from my time with him. I think he was probably well, he was building the team around you. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think uh, yeah, it was all about me. So uh, <laughs> no, but I think uh, I think he was probably more learning his learning his trade back then. I think the one thing I gleaned from Stephen back then was um, how important his players were. Like I've played with teams where managers, you know, there's always one or two who you knew weren't in favour. Uh, and we're out in the cold for months on end. Stephen was never like that. Um, his players were everything, to be quite honest with you. Um, and, you know, you've seen that over the years. Like, I remember um, at Longford at the time, we had a lad, um, Stuart Holt, um, and he used to come on and score free kicks from 40, 50 yards. Um, and, you know, some of the team talks, even though Stuart was a sub, we were all rotated around Stuart. Um, so he had that, he had that, he had that uh, nature about him where, where he was able to get the best out of people, I thought. And I think for me, that was probably Stephen's uh, um, uh, biggest quality. Yeah. I, I thought actually at Dundalk as well, that was quite remarkable. Um, the amount of time somebody come, would come off the bench, you think of Kilduff in 2016 in the European runs, a couple of goals he got. But the players that probably had every right maybe to feel a little bit aggrieved that they weren't playing. That never seemed to fester and they all seemed to do their job when they came on off the bench as well. Yeah, no, and I, and listen, I've, I've, because of uh, my closeness to, to Vinny, I've, 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 I've been up in Dundalk a lot. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, and I, and, I, and, I, and I guess that was probably down to Stephen and his, 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 uh, his, his ability to motivate players. He never, he never find players. He just thought it wasn't it wasn't a piece, it wasn't in his nature. And that wasn't out of um, uh, sort of, you know, he did softness or anything like that. You know, his, his, you know, he wanted, he knew players give up so much um, training, you know, four or five times a week, match sacrifices with at home and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I have to say, when people talk to me about Stephen and they say, what did you take from Stephen Kenny? For me, it's most definitely, um, uh, his ability to motivate players and just get the best out of them, you know, even players who wouldn't be in the side. Yeah, because I think that's interesting. I spoke to Paddy McCourt uh, not not long ago last year, and he he added this interesting line that like that Stephen Kenny was the best manager he'd he'd ever worked under, but he couldn't explain why. Like he actually said he struggled to explain what it was, and I guess some managers like could have a reputation of well. He was an amazing tactical manager, or he was this, this, you know, he had some distinctive quality. And with Stephen, it almost seems like something that sometimes people, not that they find it hard to explain, but it was just an all round package as opposed to one particular thing. Like, I don't notice that tally with your own experience yeah. of him. Yeah, very much so. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what he, do, he did have. And even when I, when I look at it with the Longford setup at the time, 
and you take it into you know the Dundalk setup. Like he took over Dundalk after what just uh, staying up from a relegation playoff. He he has a great ability to pick players. Well, I find that seem to have that hunger about them or haven't quite made it somewhere and have got a bit of a burning desire to, to, to kick on. And I know that's what, what I was like back then. Uh, and he seems to have that. He can unlock that in a player. Um, but getting back to the question in relation to what has he got, can you put your finger on it? Like, you know, again, few people ask me that. Um, like Barry Ferguson says to me, he says, I've never worked with Stephen. What's he about? And I, and I would say, I can't put my finger on it. But uh, is he the best tactician? No. Um, is he the best on the training pitch? No. Uh, but he can get the best out of players. And that's, that's his biggest quality. Um, yeah, most definitely. Isn't, isn't that interesting as well? Um, kind of, I suppose, for both of you. Because, Dan, with all of these conceptions that, like, Kenny's going to bring in the 21s and they're all going to flourish under him. But they're probably these slightly unheralded players within the setup now, maybe, that could actually just flourish under him because he knows there's more in them. These players that are already established but mightn't be actually doing it for Ireland. Yeah, maybe. And, and that's why I'd, I'd nearly throw it to Alan because I think it does seem like Stephen's strength is like a, you know, his presence around the group. And, and clearly he's had the experience with the, the 21s. Um, but Alan, how do you feel? Like, I know you haven't worked with him in a long time, but you know Vinny, as you say. So you know people who have worked with him in the more recent, uh, more recent version of Stephen, I guess. Like, how do you feel he can transfer his skills to maybe these smaller, you know, 10-day windows that he's going to have for players, which is one of the bit unknowns. I know he's had the practice with the 21s, and I've, I've heard Stephen speak about how he had to learn just how you have to time every aspect of those 10 days perfectly because it's very different to dealing with people every day of the week. So how do you feel he'll transfer his skills to maybe that side of management now? Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, again, I'll just go back to the piece about, listen, when I say Stephen, you know, what he does and he doesn't have, you know, is, is most definitely his philosophy is attack-minded football, yeah? And, you know, I think what Ireland will see is, you know, um, raiding full-backs, um, overlaps, you know, you know, trying to enforce the positive aspects of the game. He definitely doesn't believe in sitting back. That's not his philosophy. And definitely when I played, and I think we've all seen that over the last couple of years with, uh, with Dundalk and even with the 21. So, so I think that's what you're going to see. Listen, he's, he's got Keith Andrews and he's got Damien Duff in there as well, who who know that side of the game inside out and back to front. So uh, um, I'm sure he'll let them do the work on the training pitch. And I think what you'll find is, is Stevens, you know, in that 10-day period, he'll be trying to get his point across about positivity and how he believes his beliefs can influence the Irish team uh, and against the opposition. I, I suppose it's a fair point as well that there is a massive groundswell of support for him, I think, among fans, and not only League of Ireland fans. I think I speak to loads of people who are not into the League of Ireland, but just have seen the 21s, and he probably has a bit of a kind of a, an advantage there, Alan, I think, in the sense maybe that he's starting off with a, a massive backing behind him from fans, and, and people really want him to do well. Yeah, right, so, and I think, I think there's, been a, there's been a groundswell for, for League of Ireland support, full stop. Uh, through social media, through podcasts like this over the last couple of years. And I think uh, you can see that, particularly around Dublin. Uh, I've gone to some matches like up in Bozen and, you know, they're selling out the stand. 
Uh, same with Dundalk. So I think you have that supporting Stephen as well. Um, you have the success of the European football with Dundalk a couple of years ago. So um, and it's great. It's great to see. I think it's great to see. Like we had it with Brian Kerr a couple of, a few years back. Um, all bar one game with a few injuries going into that last game, and it could have been a hell of a lot different. So so why not? Is is my view on it. And listen, you know if Stephen does well. Um, you know, it paves the way for the likes of Vinny uh, or the likes of Stephen Bradley, up and coming managers, to 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 step in and fulfil their shoes as well. That's that's a good point, actually, isn't it? As well, and just um, I don't know, have you anything else to, to ask? Well, no, them just before we wrap up? well no, I was just going to say, I mean, finally, Alan, like that. I mean, for all that you you had a great time for. Uh, Stephen, at the time, did you think you were working with a future Ireland manager at that time, or has has how has his advancement since then still surprised you? I guess. Yeah, I think it's been a bit uh, stop start because obviously was I surprised at the time when Bohemians came in for Stephen? No, because to be fair, he had taken Longford, um, got them promoted uh, in the first year, stayed up, got to a cup final, narrowly beaten that day by Bohemians. Um, and the following year got us into Europe, and uh, you know they were they were a very very interesting uh, trip to Bulgaria, um, mm. and uh, again like we were one we were one we were one goal away from uh, beating the um, the Bulgarian Cup uh, holders who had three or four internationals, and it was it was just and it was a surreal time and a surreal experience. So that was um, all the flights, Alan, wasn't it? Was there, what was what was what was the surreal aspect of that trip? I think you maybe need to. <laughs> so the surreal, yeah. If you remember, we were in the airport, and uh, we were all waiting there for two or three hours. And the people, the tour operators, fell in a, in, a, in a dodgy uh, um, leather jacket with a with a black and blue eye. Was waiting on this chartered plane to come in. Uh, needless to say, the chartered plane never came in. Um, so uh, someone in Longford had done a deal. Uh, Maybe cut a few corners, I don't know, but we ended up staying the night as opposed to flying to Bulgaria. We ended up staying the night in um, the Dublin Airport Hotel, chartered the flight out the next day, and then got on the, the, a broken down minibus and traveled the whole way across Bulgaria to get to, to our, uh, our second leg. But again, you know, uh, I think uh, it was uh, um, Enda Kenny, I think, uh, not Enda Kenny, uh, one of the young Kennys that were playing at the time, a 17 year old, uh, hit the crossbar in the last minute. And if he had a scored, we were through to the next round. Um, so uh, it was interesting but listen Stephen done, done well at Bowes a bit of a, a stop start uh, at Rovers at the time and then listen I think he got it right um, at Dundalk he brought Vinny in with him and, and those five six years you know the two of them got on fantastically well um, and seemed to be just a great partnership for each other and the success was, was, was excellent yeah I suppose just just one final question. You you do look like a bit of a kind of a godlike figure looking down with the sky behind you there and all that. But can you can you give me a bit of prophecy here? Does this actually improve our chance of qualifying for the Euros now that Stephen's in? I think so. I think listen, you've seen it in the in the, in the towards the back end of the games when we had to chase them under Mick McCarthy, where you've seen the ability in some of the players. Um, listen. I don't think we can be as cavalier like that from from the get go in international football, but uh, I do. Yeah, I think I think you'll see a positive style of football. Um, one I'm looking forward to, and most people I speak to. So uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Thanks a million for your time, Alan. Cheers, Alan. No problem. Best of luck, boys.
Thanks to Alan. Alan was speaking uh, with this kind of mad cloud in the background to us on the Zoom. How are you finding the Zoom, Dan? I have to say I'm a bit of a fan. I think it works very well. Yeah, I've, I've tried various you know, uh, messaging apps or whatever, you know, that is this with the family or in general? Yeah, I've done a couple of family Zooms. Um, yeah, my, my buddy at home, Porik, he does the going out match program with me. He was like, his dad uh, was, was on, he was getting the Zoom on his computer and his dad is fairly ill and he's like, this is mad. It's like, oh, he's getting the Zoom on your, on just to have a chat with you, is it so he can converse? No, no, there's uh, the parish priest is doing a mass via Zoom. So he wants to get it hooked up and see if it worked in times. So like, that's rural Ireland. Yeah, I think I think it's like we're like it's, it's that's my parents' fiftieth wedding anniversary, and we're meant to be all going away. Eric and Anne. Yep. So it was uh, they're probably listening, but um, it was a fiftieth wedding anniversary this weekend, Easter weekend. So we were all meant to go away as a family, and low, you know, loads of people are suffering worse things in these times than missing out on a nice event. And, and thankfully, you know, we'll be able to celebrate it again at some stage in the future. But one thing we have done now is these sort of family Zoom uh, discussions, you know, with sort of uh, siblings and, and sort of grandchildren and, and whatnot. Like, so uh, it's, uh, I think it's something that people will probably uh, sort of uh, carry on whenever Definitely, this yeah. ends. Like I had one the other day with a friend that lives in Canada and stuff like that. And people that you don't almost see unless they're home or from year to year or the odd message in a WhatsApp group. But actually, I'm probably talking to some people more now than I would have if things were normal. You know, mm. it's, it's sort of in a weird way. So uh, I'm sure everyone who's sort of tuning into this has probably adapted to that in some, some degree. You know, you're yeah, one of these ones, like, I mean, I, I, know, I know I slag you off a bit, but like, you're a very social animal in terms when you're out and about. Like, you'd be all, off talking to everyone, out smoking, chatting to other people and stuff like that. Like, how are you finding the sort of different change of the, the, the different pace of a day now? I'd say it's a bit different for you. Yeah, it's going it's, to the races, meeting people, all yeah. this stuff. Like you going to football be, games as well, though, Dan. To be honest, yeah. I mean, you can you can structure your week uh, as best you can. But if you if you do a League of Ireland podcast, we're talking about the, the results from the weekend. We're talking about the results that are are going to come at the weekend. We're, we're, what games we're going to go to? Like I live twenty minutes from Inchicore here. Like, and every time I'm walking down that area of Dublin 8 now I'm like you know this reminds me of just walking up to a game there and that I don't know when this is going to happen again so stuff like that there isn't really a kind of a I didn't like honestly yesterday I thought it was Friday for about three hours I was like actually today is Thursday and today I didn't even know it was good Friday until you said it so it, it's kind of like the structure has gone out of out of your week the, the two yeah. are annoying like I, I do love to get into the water if I can as well yeah. it's great well I mean annoying yes Annoying, but but necessary at the same time. Mm. But it's it, it's it, what we do get to see with this is to um you know the the Zoom thing is like have you noticed on say the Sky News papers or whatever it might be you're getting to see to a lot of people's homes yeah you know? so and as always a lot of people with like a bookshelf behind them or you can imagine the the frantic work that's been done by people <laughs> to go like you know let's 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 take away all the the the, the Jordan Katie Price autobiographies yeah. let's <laughs> let's take them all down even let's King's take, The Shining let's take down Heat magazine or whatever yeah. and let's put up the most intellectual what have, what have we got what's that it's a cookbook yeah but it looks serious yeah, but let's put that up there you know yeah, it's but getting whatever, getting back to whatever, home whatever. as well we had like the the mass in the house which we call the stations at home and the only time you ever did up the house was when the stations were on and that's when all the local people came and the priest said mass in your house once every seven or eight years or something like that yeah 
get, get the good shine out. You so know? that was Asian like before Zoom existed. But um, I, I, you've gone for a, a kind of a, you've gone for that dark green color there in the background. So I think I'm, I have to say I'm a bit of a fan of. Well, yeah, I'm actually in the, in the front room. I, I mean, I do have some books over there, but it just doesn't really suit. Um, Can you see them? No, I can't really. I can't really be twisting it around because, like, I, I have this the, this laptop sitting on a table in such a way that I don't want to. I don't want to mess with it, son. But, but um, Alan Murphy, uh, in fairness, the, the the Longford days were pretty like absolutely of all the things Kenny did this had to be up there in and I, when I watched back that interview the Longford Town chairman at the time so this is going back to 96 maybe would that be right 90, maybe 98 yeah um, but the Longford Town chairman said we want to get promoted this year if we don't we want to get promoted next year and after that we want to get to Europe but sure who knows and all this happened literally all this happened they were in Europe within what three or four years they won the FAI Cup twice and Alan Murphy was obviously bought by the chairman as well yeah and and i mean stephen kennedy was one of the people in the interviews yesterday was shannon side fm and they had a, a clip of kenny 20 years ago talking about maybe being ireland manager one day and this being his wow. ambition and uh, no it is i mean stephen kennedy appoint, you know applied for the, the long for job but no one else wanted it basically they were a joke i said it was slightly before alan murphy's time um but he and he, he came down and he met he famously met the then chairman in a, in a pub and said afterwards, we're never meeting in a pub again, by the way. But I had a resume, a dossier done of all the players, um, you know, everything that they'd done the previous season, all the players who'd be letting go, which was basically all of them. Yeah. And, um, and he would take it from there. And in many respects, like, you know, rebuilding Derry after the contracts business and, and Dundalk, he almost followed that template just at a higher level. And, uh, and, 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 and things went from there. But, but, but we are moving along with his career. Now, again, I'm, I'm conscious that a lot of people are listening to this, but, but some people may be watching aspects of it. And David Ford, um, sort of retired Ireland goalkeeper now, worked with, with, with Kenny at Derry City. He's a different backdrop completely. He's definitely, he's definitely an experienced meeting at home man. Because like, for people who are just listening, to give, you, to give you a picture, he is like sat back in a, in a chair you know, way back from the camera, not like us that are sometimes in your face because we can't sit too far away. He's got books behind him, framed jerseys around him, and a sort of a serene posture throughout the whole thing that this is like a, a fireside chat with David Ford almost. But we did want to speak to David Ford because he is someone who has always credited Kenny as having a big role in his own success. And, and David Ford, maybe within the League of Ireland, he wasn't viewed by a lot of people as a future Ireland goalkeeper who would play a couple of hundred games in England. Um, but Stephen Kenny always certainly viewed him in those terms or spoke of him in those terms anyway. And, and that belief sort of carried him forward. So, yeah, let's go and listen to our discussion with David Ford. Uh, David Ford, uh, it's probably fair to say yourself and Stephen O'Donnell were two of the most talented players to come out of Galway, but it's probably also fair to say that Stephen Kenny just turned up at a very, very pivotal sliding doors moment in both your careers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeez, it was just after I returned home from West Ham. And to be honest, I was totally disillusioned with the game. And I was looking at going back to becoming uh, a school teacher and going back to study as a mature student at NUIG in, in Galway and pursuing another dream and ambition of mine that I've often said was to, to play county football for Galway and playing mm. Grow Park. So that was the kind of pathway I was going to go. But um, divine intervention kicked in and Stephen drove down from Derry to meet me in Galway in the, the now Maldron Hotel. And we spent probably a couple of hours talking and uh, 
like that, he managed to persuade me and twist my arm and come to Derry for the remainder. I think there was about 10, 11 games and play out the remainder of the season. And uh, that's all it was at the time. And he was, he was very aware of my situation and how I was actually feeling. And it was great for me to have that freedom that I could return home to Galway, lick me wounds. Um, but yet, still at the same time, I had a game at the weekend to look forward to where he was, um, he facilitated me in terms of, you know, come up on Thursday, train on a Thursday night at the Brandywell and then play on a, play on a Friday night. And that, that was great for me then because he entrusted in me a level of trust that I was going to look after myself as a professional um, during the week and training Galway. And then, now, were you in a kind of a? Were you not in a great place mentally? I suppose at that stage, and that was something that he had to, I, I guess, work around as well and get get the best out of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was struggling big time with my own um, my own mentality at the time. I was in a bit of a dark place. Um, it's not easy when you know you're chasing your dreams and your ambitions. And then for them to be pulled out from under your feet. Um, and that was, uh, I suppose, no fault of my own. But taking that responsibility and taking that ownership as a young man is not really uh, something we're willing to do. But looking back and, and like that, all the trials and tribulations that I faced were, were purposeful. And they've taught, certainly taught me a lot and seasoned me as a man and as a, a professional footballer, well, ex-professional footballer. Yeah, so, I, I guess um, it's fair to say like another manager might not have been able to have that effect at the time as he did. Yeah, 100%. 100%. He showed great, um, I suppose, emotional intelligence. He was very self-aware. He realised where, I suppose, I needed that sense of support and that unconditional support that he knew it was a big time for me to come back, spend some time with my, uh, my fiancé um, and my family and just to kind of get that process kind of going and get a sense of normality back into my life what what was your first take of of steven himself david because you've met a lot of different characters in, in professional football all sorts of different people and i think steven is is often described as someone who's slightly different um just you know he just he, he mightn't carry himself in that brash way that some other people might and some other managers might sit you down in a room so like, what was your i suppose your first interactions with him like my first interaction was um, I was very impressed on how he thinks outside the box. Uh, Stephen is a very humble man, and that's one of his greatest strengths. He's, he's very uh, approachable, very respectful, um, and you can have those types of conversations where there was often times at Derry where even when I was the following season when I was up there full-time, and I was even finding that difficult, um, just being up in Derry throughout that season, um, where he facilitated me, you know, longer blocks staying back in Galway and stuff like that like you know so it was still a process for me and a journey for me to kind of to heal those wounds and um, you know I, I definitely think when, when I look back to probably one of the biggest stories that probably I can tell you about Stephen was in terms of his humility was we just played Cork and we had lost we needed a draw um, to win the league and we got beat 2-0 down in Cork um, and that was really gut-wrenching because I, I did feel we, we certainly had enough to, to win the league and, and we didn't. So God bless me father, he's nearly a year dead now, a year gone. And one of the fondest stories he, he often tells me of, of his interaction with Stephen, and this was only a few months ago, just before he passed, he actually told me the story. So it really touched my heart. He, 
we we had finished the game and we stayed in I think it's Douglas in the Roaches Town Hotel. Um, like that at the end of the season, we kind of licking our wounds as well, and I had a couple of drinks, um, and trying to I suppose process that loss and process the whole season. So my dad, um, my mum, and my uncle came down to the game that night, and they stayed in the hotel. So the following morning, I was driving back up to Galway. Uh, just had breakfast and my dad went outside to have a cigarette and uh, the team bus for Derry was heading back up to Derry. So as the bus pulls off, it's driving out the driveway and the bus stops and uh, he told me that Stephen jumped off the bus and came back and shook my dad's hand and he just wanted to say, you know, I really appreciate everything that David has done this season. And where that story is actually going is the fact that that season, Shelburne were, you know, they were paying... Uh, good money at the time they were looking for a keeper uh, Pat Fenlon had contacted me and I was torn between going full-time in Dublin and pursuing um, academia in, in Dublin in various different universities so I thought oh this is a great chance so I spoke to my dad and I said uh, I said dad what do you think go to Shelburne and stay at Derry and he just said something very very profound and very wise to me he said he says I always remember David he said the grass isn't always greener he said, it's only greener where it's watered. And that stemmed from that story where Stephen got off the bus and shook me dad's hand. So that was enough to tell me that that's the type of man I want to play for. And uh, I think a couple of hours later, I was up the road to Derry to sign for my uh, final season. Yeah, that definitely seems to be a team with you know lads who played for him. That There's a loyalty there. And uh, anyone who's met him, I think, as well, can just attest to the fact that that decency, that's not put on as well. Like That's not something that's contrived in order to get a result to the far side. It's like he's just, as you say, he just seems to be a humble, decent fellow, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's um, absolute salt of the earth. Um, I'm absolutely delighted for him. He's got this opportunity. And it's something when he left for Dunfermline and even that, to, to have that humility as well and uh, to, to come back, that unfinished business he had with Derry when we got to the FAI Cup final and we won it, that he was the Dunfermline manager and a big part of him was he would have felt that he was letting us down. So he wanted to come back and manage in the final, which was at the time we had a meeting, we had a group meeting, Peter Hutton and the senior player, Sean Hargan, and all the dirty stalwarts. We had a meeting up at the stadium and the, the, the club asked us, how do we feel about Stephen coming back? And it was unanimous in the decision. Everyone was just delighted that he wanted to come back and be our manager for that game because we knew it was going to be uh, you know, a big challenge for us. Um, so when he, he came back, uh, and then obviously with the celebrations, we won the FAI Cup, the last game at Lansdowne Road, and he went back to Dunfermline, and we often had chats about you know my dreams and ambitions. And even when I was, well, even when I was when I came back from West Ham that time, he, he asked me what was my dream, and my dream and my goal was always to play for Ireland. And so he was always very supportive of that. He was always very even when I was playing in the League of Ireland, he was always pushing. He was always saying, look, these are the keepers here, you're as good, if not better than these. And it was just huge. He just really empowered me and really strengthened me. Um, and I felt that was great for my my performance. And it just gave me an ambition. And I remember just talking to him saying, yeah, hopefully one day you'll, uh, you'll be the Ireland manager. And we just had a laugh and a grin. And uh, he said, yeah, I hope so too. So it's just great to see how years ago those discussions and those talks are... are for me, it's I've 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 had my journey with Ireland, which was amazing, and it's great to see Stephen get his chance now. Did either of you believe it at the time? Sorry, Dan. Did either of you believe you play and he'd manage Ireland? 
there was there was I'd say probably ten percent belief down there that yeah, this this is actually possible, you know. So it was like that as well. It was a good laugh and a good grin, like you know, it's one of them kind of typical Irish ones. Yeah, we will, yeah, you know. So um, yeah, it's just it's just fabulous. It's just it's just great to see. It's great to see that he's had this opportunity now where it's it's going to be you know straight into the into the firing line for the European qualifiers. Yeah, I mean, David, this is the thing. You, you've spoken so well before about your own Ireland journey and it came to you quite late in the day, I guess. And you probably would have walked into that Ireland dressing room for the first time and met people at different stages of their career. Some who had it from 18, 19. Some maybe like yourself who'd come whatever, a bit of a roundabout route. One of the big talking points about Stephen is how he's going to be received in the, the senior dressing room now because there'll be some guys like James McLean who were there. They know. They know the man. Uh, and there'll be others who've, who've never worked with him or maybe never lived in Ireland or, or been aware of him. So how do you think he'll handle that? You know, because you know what the Irish dressing room can be like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's all, all various types of, types of personalities and characters. Uh, one of Stephen's uh, strengths and, and gifts is actually uh, his ability to, um, you know, penetrate those personalities, to get into those people, and to see what motivates them, what makes them tick. He was very clever in in his approach towards me. That he identified that my biggest motivation for me was my my family. That everything I wanted to do was for me, my wife, my children, to give us the best possible start. So. He's he's on to I feel he's on to a winner at the moment anyhow because the likes of James McLean are there and and those people because players footballers talk and they will be very keen to um, find out. Um, but the 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 beauty is is that if he can you know he he still he still keeps his mystery which is a, a great thing and he's very clever in how he actually uh, you know c- commands that space. So no doubt about it, I feel he's just going to step into it and, and do treat it like he has in any other job and any other role. He's nothing to fear in this. He's nothing to step in. You know what I mean? He just has to step mm-hmm. into it and, and take ownership of it. But I definitely feel, you know, the lads um, were in, in terms of working with the likes of Derry and clubs down for the years. He's had budgets and other things to kind of work around and stuff. Now he just got a group of players that he doesn't have to question commitment as such because... Being Irish players, we just love playing for Ireland. We love playing for a nation. We love playing for that green shirt. So that won't be a problem. That won't be an issue. But um, I think after a while, when people get to know him and people get to understand him and his passion and his drive, you know, his his enthusiasm to uh, to win is infectious. Because mm, you know, as a as a senior, you know, in your in your final years as a senior professional, again, you experience different sides of the game and different managers and. Like how and I, I heard Gary Breen speak about this the other day and Damien Delaney, like ex-players, saying that that first meeting, that first team talk, that first session, that that's actually very important for a new manager, that the group will be, you know, feeling him out as much as, as he is them. I mean, is that something that it's crucial you get that initial tone right at the start? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it's going to be daunting as well for uh, an incoming manager to step into that environment of you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever, first squad he calls up to, to, to look at. And it's important that, as you said, that he, he steps into that role and steps into that position. But what, what endears him, like what I said, is, is, is his humility. And also, he's, um, he's very meticulous in, in what he does and in how he uh, views the game. 
you know, he's a he's a student of the game and he's continually learning. Recently, I did um, I did a talk and a presentation at the pro license um, holders down in Fort Island just in January, and he actually came down for the day. He was so intrigued what I had to say. He was so intrigued in in what the lads were doing and stuff like that. And he just off his own back, he jumped in the car and came down and spent the day with us. And you know, we were reminiscing and catching up. And um, it's it's just really giving him that space and that opportunity, which. Um, I definitely feel the FAI have probably learned since the, uh, it's very similar to the, the Brian Kerr um, transition when he came in and uh, I definitely feel that, you know, the added pressure, there'd certainly be pressure there and stuff, but I think it's definitely about giving them the, the time and space and the patience to uh, implement his style of play. You talk about keeping the mystery about him, I thought, which is a lovely line. Are there players playing for Ireland right now that he can improve um, improve a good deal? Players that he's never dealt with before, even players that are, you know, I suppose, starting every game for Ireland but maybe aren't reaching their potential. Can he improve them? 100%. And uh, he can maximise everybody's potential there because one of the greatest things football ever taught me was my one of my greatest strengths is my openness to learn. I definitely feel we can always learn from from somebody. There's always something to be learned there. So with his wealth of knowledge and experience and, and dealing with many various different types of personalities and characters, and if the players are open to it, and, and no doubt the majority of lads in, in Irish football actually are, because we come from hum, humble backgrounds, that we are willing to learn and to improve, no matter what level we've actually played at. There's always something more we can we can improve. And as a high-performance athlete, we're always striving to be um, uh, to be better. Where for me, it was about my strive for for um, perfection, which was unrealistic and un- 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 unattainable. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realise that really the the pathway in football is the is the path to excellence, the pursuit of excellence. Mm. Like the one of the things I, I, people I think in the general public they see Stephen on you know radio t- and TV interviews and he's you know he has a sort of a softly spoken persona at times but then you speak to people who've been in the dressing room with him and they explain that when he goes he goes you know it's it's rare but it can happen I mean have you been on the receiving end or have you seen it in full flight like the other side of Stephen the the slightly more agitated one on a, on a particular day yeah absolutely and that's that's necessary as well you know that's necessary um within within a team environment and really his his great strength in that is that it's not coming from a place of anger it's coming from a place of passion he actually channels it in in the right way in the right direction um and he's the first one you know he's uh, he's the first one to hold his hand up when he has got it wrong or when he has got a got a when he has fundamentally felt he has made a mistake and that was very endearing for me I really appreciated that 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 quality and, and the value and the man in that yeah you haven't lost your goal reaction for it must be said it's still there yeah still kicking yeah. strong what yeah. are you up to yeah. nowadays I have plenty of people to give me a kick around the head anyhow if it was you know what are you up to nowadays um, recently we well myself and my partner we opened a coach and mentor in a personal development uh, company so you know, I realised over, I suppose, the last 20 years of my career, um, you know, I made many mistakes and like what I said, I learned from them. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I had to take take me medicine and it was a hard pill to swallow. So through studying personal development, um, I felt I had a, a lot to share with people. And also I wanted to support people in achieving their dreams as, as I did mine. 
So, you know, I, I started to have that vision probably 10 years ago where I started to realize, right, what do I want to be after football? There was a scary stat brought out in 2017 that footballers in English professional football are one or five things. And, and yeah, it was definitely 75 to 85 percent, something like that, where it was one where there were bankrupt uh, gamblers, drug addicts, divorced. And um, I can't even think of the fourth one anyhow. But mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's that's a scary stat. I don't really want to be one of them. So. I started to uh, discover, I suppose, personally about myself and my journey and what I wanted to be afterwards. So I thought, you know, for me, it was people have said, oh, you could be a manager, you could be a goalkeeping coach, you could be this and that. But I just felt I wanted to um, go into, um, I suppose, understanding the, the, the mind and performance and emotional well-being and stuff. So over the last 10 years, that's what I've been studying. I've just completed my master's in executive coaching and development trained as a senior practitioner with the EMCC. Um, so through that study and through that development, um, it's allowed me now to, to work with individuals, teams, companies, building leadership qualities, communication skills, emotional intelligence, and, and high performance. So we run workshops, consultations, and talks, and various different other um, things. So, um, you know, I, I, I knew the value of a dream, like what we're saying there, myself mm-hmm. and Stephen. We both knew that value of a dream. And as far out of reach it might seem, I know it's possible because I, I've, I've been down that route. I've been down that journey. Mm-hmm. What will he be saying to the Ireland players in terms of what they can achieve? Because, you know, I guess at this stage, if we qualify for a tournament, we, we, it's almost considered an achievement. But that obviously isn't going to be his mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Stephen will want to do whatever it is Stephen will want to do is, is best in that. Um, but first things first, I don't think we can get too carried away. I think the, the we've just got to be realistic at the moment and understand, right, we've got um, possibly three games. I think it's the two semis and a, and, a, and the, the remainder game to get to the Euros. So I think that'll be his whole focus, his whole energy will be going fully into, um, into, into qualifying. David, I have to say, the people are basically primarily listening to this podcast, but we can right. see you at the moment, right? So I have a couple of questions for you. For even, even people who can't, who can't see you to explain, you've got a signed shirt exactly to your left. And I'm kind of wondering what game that was. And also you've got an axe hanging over your head, which we need the story behind literally. as well. So there's literally an axe hanging over your head. So maybe we'll go with the, the jersey for starters it's like these oh. maybe more straightforward inter, inter, introduction yeah so this was um my shirt worn against germany in um was it cologne so okay. um yeah that's when we got beat 3-1 just after uh, giovanni trapattoni got sacked mm. um and uh, uh king came in and took over and i got man the match on that night even though we got beat 3-1 so that was on that night. It was such a, a huge challenge playing against the absolute world champions in their back garden, and we had a depleted team, an interim manager, and Jesus, the the, the pressure was uh, enormous and stuff, you know. So, um, I really yeah. enjoyed my night that night. Unfortunately, we got beaten. So, but yeah, I like that. I have my shirt here. I have my former roommate um, Keith Fahey up here, number twenty one. Um, and like that, I've just got a couple of my other my other shirts, my England shirt hanging up there, my shirt worn against uh, Sweden when I was thirty three, making wow. me yeah, uh, qualifying, qualifying debut in the World Cup qualifier. So 
This is all very fascinating, but can you just get to the axe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the axe, yeah, the axe is a very um, fascinating one. It's a very interesting one. It's in his hands, uh, by the way. In his hands. As, as, as a young man, I um, I loved cowboys and Indians as a young man. So I always loved the uh, native Indians. So when I was working with my mentor, and uh, he had asked me, you know, he was after coming back from Arizona, the Red Rock. Um, and spending time up in the Indian reservations. And this was probably about seven years ago, eight years ago, and I said, geez, I'd love to do that. I'd love to go on, on, on that journey. And he says, when you retire, we'll, we'll do it. So retired last May, jumped on a plane, flew from Dublin over to uh, Phoenix, drove about three hours up to the uh, reservations and spent some time with the Hobies and the Navajos and the Apaches. Um, and the, the, the story was... was uh, I was uh, with my friend and we had a, a drinks uh, dispenser. And I just had this feeling come over me. I was like, Jesus, there's a war coming. And he started looking at me thinking, Jesus, you're mad. And I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I said, I need to get myself an axe. So that went on anyhow. So next thing, we'd gone for food that evening. We drove another maybe two or 300 miles through the plains of, of, of the Red Rock of Arizona. Absolutely beautiful place. And um, we stopped off for dinner that evening and I went down, had a meal and stuff. And um, next thing I was sitting down having my meal and I was having me chicken or whatever. And I was nearly eating my fingers. I was that hungry. And uh, a, a local came over, an indigenous man came over and actually placed this axe over my shoulder. And I thought, wow. And he says, I think this is for you. And I was like, I held it up in my hands and I can't describe to you the feeling that came into my body when I held this. So that's where the story of the axe came from. It's kind of imagining Stephen Kenny pulling it out in a halftime team talk. <laughs> yeah, he might need that a few times. Take a few heads clean off. But I think we need Forney on the show more often. Yeah, but just to finish that, the storm came and uh, my dad passed away three days later as I was flying back from Arizona. You believe in that sort of prophecies kind of thing? Um, I wouldn't, well, I don't know, was it a prophecy or it was, a, a, I suppose, intuition or a feeling? Mm. And yeah, definitely do. Yeah, I definitely feel there's definitely um, more out there, you know. I definitely, uh, you know, since I started to work off my gut instinct when I was younger and stuff, there's definitely more about looking through the eyes of your uh, your perception and, and your intuition and stuff. What's your gut instinct for Ireland? Sorry, Dan, your gut instinct for Ireland under Kenny and with all these young lads coming in? I feel it's going to be a successful one. I, I really do. I really do. I think he's going to introduce new, fresh ideas. Um, I think it's going to all of a sudden now. It's uh, it's 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 going to focus wholly on on the team and the player. Um, Stephen's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes over the last number of years. Um, the great work he's done at Dundalk and everything else. And I, I think you know, even though it's international football and stuff, but you know, Jose Mourinho was a uh, was a uh, uh, what do you call it. What was he? Uh, translator. So yeah, you know, definitely he's definitely got more than enough, and he's definitely got more than enough skills in his in his tool bag. Enough tools in his just, tool just, bag. Just about uh, just before we let you go, David. Just um, you also would have played with um, Keith Andrews and and Damien Doffer around squads with with both of them. And what do you think they will bring as well in terms of their skill set? Yeah, definitely experience. And the beauty of their experience is their ability to um, express that. Uh, you see them both on television, both prominent roles. 
they're very coherent, they're well able to express themselves. Um, and you look at how successful their own careers were, you know, I think uh, Keith must have 50, 60 caps at least, and Damien is, is one of the best players Ireland have, has ever produced. And he's, uh, he's got a genius mind, and he's got great ideas on how the game will actually play. So I definitely feel with the years they've been in the Irish setup and what it's actually about, it'll give that sense of continuity and that sense of consistency. And it'll be a great way for, for, for I'm sure Stephen's going to learn from them no more than they're going to learn from Stephen. Thanks a million for your time, Ford. It's been great to catch up. Um, and uh, if you have an axe to grind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a call. Yeah, exactly. Man, Forty. Yeah. Brilliant catch so up. Like, yeah, like Thanks that. So if you'd like to keep up with my journey, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, and my new website will be up running soon. Do you want to give us a shout at the, the Twitter the Twitter handle, David, if people don't have it, or what would be? Um, it's just my own personal Twitter at the moment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and Instagram is at the moment, and my website is www.pcd.ie. So that's just kind of getting up and running and uh, getting the ball rolling. So yeah, I'd love to hear from some people. Great stuff. I'll go any way I can. Fantastic. Life begins at 40, 40. That's what they say, isn't it? You have a few years <laughs> left anyhow, do you? Two. Not too many. <laughs> Good luck. I've been so generous much, with that as well. Huh? <laughs> Thanks, David. Yeah. Cheers. All right, lads. Thank you. Best of luck. You built up that interview nice at the start, Dan, because uh, the parallels between Ford and Kenny, obviously, I don't think either expected, uh, people didn't expect him maybe to go on to be Ireland manager or Ireland goalkeeper. And also, Stephen Kenny to really bring about the best out of a goalkeeper considering I doubt Stephen Kenny is an expert on goalkeepers but 40 I mean what a man what can you say about that interview took us to places they didn't expect to go it did Arizona being one of them but mm. um, yeah like I mean Ford is Ford when he retired recently people might have, might have watched a video that he put out it was almost like he got this documentary crew to almost follow him and charge him and he, he mentioned his mentor there and, and in recent years he has started to work with someone and probably into the bit of the life coaching and the sort of deeper thinking and he gave up he gave up drinking and and he sort of um he's he's a he's a very rounded character and and actually uh Stephen Kenny mentioned uh David Ford we spoke to David Ford uh, earlier in the week uh, before the Stephen Kenny press conference so what if I've if it had been the other way around, I would have spoken to him because um, Kenny actually mentioned that, that Ford had, had hailed Alan Kelly in particular and how his attention to detail was very impressive. And I think that that was a, a factor in, in Kenny deciding to, to go with Alan Kelly as coach. So Interesting. obviously Ford had some, some role in that. But I mean, he, he is someone who is heading into a new phase of, of his life now, Ford, and, and he's clearly... Um, He's, you know, he's, he's clearly thinking about where he might go and, and I'm sure it'll take him to some interesting places in, and, and uh, discussions and conversations. But I, I guess it does show that he's someone who does have an openness to learn and does have uh, probably a mentality that is perfect for Stephen Kenny. And, and we did ask him, and this is one of the big fears, and it, you, can't, you, have to, you, have to, you can't run away from it, that how will senior players all react to Kenny? Because he has a unique... Uh, approach and he may not be if, you, if you've worked in English football uh, or lived and, and played English football for sort of 10 12 years uh, like a lot of those players may have or, or maybe shorter periods you'd have dealt with a lot of different type of managers some sort of wide boys some people who are like 
you know, knee deep with agents and, and sort of, you know, ducking and diving and, and wheeler dealer characters and, and, you know, aggressive in your face characters. And, and there's different, like, there's obviously a lot of foreign coaches, that, you know, foreign if you're in, in England terms, coaches in, in, the, in the UK too and different styles. So it's not as if that there's, again, we're generalizing every player in England as they're all under one umbrella. They're all potentially troublesome. It's obviously different personalities and characters like Seamus Coleman and James McLean that don't really tick into that stereotype at all. But Kenny is going to have to get the pitch right with certain types of players. And I thought the most interesting thing that, that, that Ford said was about Kenny's ability to identify what makes different personalities and people tick. And the this only is thing, the thing is, yeah. as a club manager, you get loads of time with them. In three yeah. days, figuring out what makes, I don't know, just uh, what makes Callum O'Dowd a tick. I mean, it might take a bit more time. Mm, that, that's that. That's a really interesting point, and I I think Kenny probably did miss many aspects of club management when he went into the twenty ones, and I think it's probably helped that he did get that time to kind of know know uh, one from the other, I suppose, because you don't have. Do you, do you think that will hinder him like that? He w- he won't because he's man management. I mean, and we heard Forty on about him talking to his dad and so on and so forth. And do you think that will hinder him, or will he be a manager who's in 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 contact with these players sort of on a regular basis anyway? Well, I don't know. He he's been asked, you know, will he be getting in touch with all of his players now? And he's actually said no. That he the only person he's spoken to thus far is Seamus Coleman, and his opinion with that is that I don't want to be seen to be speaking to some players and not others. So all of a sudden word gets around that he's, I don't mm. know, he's, he's, he's called Callum Robinson, but he hasn't called Scott Hogan or whatever, whatever it might be. Now I'm sure over time that will change. He's naturally going to need to speak to players if someone gets an injury or something that requires a query as to how you are or where you're at. And I think he has to get that right. Like, I mean, if he doesn't speak to players at all for a long period of time, you can imagine some, mumbles about that because again that's just a difference in style Nick McCarthy when he went in uh, he had a long break between then and his first match and, and he did ring around players and, and make contact with them but he probably dealt with some with more of them before and that would have been Nick's style Nick had a certain old school way of you know you know we talk you know this is what we do and um that was his that was his approach um, and and Kenny has, has adopted a different strategy so listen it's an unknown like you don't know how he's going to get on with the whole group um, you know, at, at times, I mean, at Shamrock Rovers, things he never clicked with that dressing room just didn't happen from. He went into a Michael O'Neill group, a lot of them were under contract. Um, Load of players. I, I, I think he just made a couple of mistakes early doors and tried to maybe not, not take on board the success they'd had in the previous year and, and tried to and, and just got off on the wrong foot with people. At the same time, also, I think some players made it difficult for them. and some of the players that made it difficult for him there, um, their subsequent CVs would suggest that Michael yeah. O'Neill got the best out of them. Just uh, on that time, do you but remember... they weren't necessarily the best characters. Yeah. Do you remember Kenny around that time? Like, what was he like? Did It must have, as, as well as I know him, which isn't very well, I would imagine that was something that really, really hit him hard because, I mean, from my recollection of Rovers, they were a bit of a joke in, game, in some of those games. They looked absolutely rudderless, and it's hard to believe that they were a Stephen Kenny coach team. Yeah, I mean, I, what I remember is they actually started off season okay, but it was obviously a bit of an illusion. Like, they, they, they hammered one or two teams early on, but... I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's very striking. And, and people go on about, well, 
uh, you know, was it pressure of the job and, and whatnot? And like, some of his language when he went to Rovers probably wasn't dissimilar to his language with the Ireland job, that he was Tala, sort of Tala man going home. And there was a sense that this was probably the ultimate club job for him in Ireland. And uh, there was a sense of you know, that homecoming vibe was, it seemed like it was right. But I mean, there's no doubt that when things started to go against him, he couldn't pull it back. And he, he just didn't have the people around him he didn't have the players in that in that group that were fully on board with him. That they they were very like Michael O'Neill. Like is a is an excellent manager, and time has been you know, time has been proven on that. But I would say he would have a slightly different style um, to Kenny, and some of the players that that Michael O'Neill could get the best out of. I think Kenny might find it harder to relate to some of mm. them, and and vice versa. To be honest, you know, it's just the way it works. Um, but I, I guess as an international manager, like he, if, if there is a sense that there's a couple of players that he doesn't have a rapport with, unless they're the very best players in his team, he doesn't have to pick them all. You know, like there's, a, there's a sense that he can, he can pick the group with the influences that he wants. Like, it's not as if there's... Like, I think Brian Kerr struggled with the fact that... Uh, and, I, and I'm now comparing him to Brian Kerr, which is what I said I wouldn't do. Anyway, but, just yeah. as, but, but as a comparison that there were probably senior players there or leading players there who care couldn't drop but weren't into care. And that's a problem. Like, that's a big problem for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Kenny, if he has the senior, the leading players on board, then if there's a couple of guys around the fringes who, who aren't having them, um, like, he doesn't necessarily have to... He, they're not paying him 10 grand a week to come This in is the day. interesting thing, though, Dan. To you me, know? there isn't really any single player, like, bar one or two. There's no player in this team who can say, oh, I'm definitely starting week in, week out, because we don't have these outstandingly good players relative to everyone else. Even our best players aren't unbelievably good. No, so, like, I know, but, but, but Johnny Friend, like, footballers talk, you know, footballers no, are... No, but what I'm really, saying is he does have options in that, like, if you're, if you're not, if you're not um, buying into Kenny and you're mouthing, basically, he can drop you in, at the drop of a hat because he knows these other players come in. Like, there's not a, like, yeah, a Roy Keane situation here. Do you know what I mean? No, Duffy I know, I know. Randolph, listen, I completely understand the point that you're making on that, but I, I also think that, like, the, some of the commentary and the language around Kenny coming in as though, I've heard, I heard you say it, like, well, you know, no one is safe. And I get what you're saying. But, like, you have to get the tone of how you drop people right or else that becomes, yeah. like, uh, a whispering campaign about you behind your back. And then, it be, you know, and that can seep into the press. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, players have got a problem with Kenny when actually it might just be the two or three players Absolutely. that have dropped have got a problem with Kenny. And so before like, we get... That, that's how you have to manage it. If you suddenly yeah. have a leading player and you, you want to drop them, you have to do it really well and make them feel involved or else that becomes a, a management issue. And so, like, that, that's yeah. just the challenges. Before, before we get to Mark Roster, who obviously, uh, like Alan Murphy, played defensively in his career, um, I thought Kenny talking up the back four was fascinating. He said, it, it, it came, I think, I think he said, like the best back four, among the best 10 back fours in, in European, Europe. Yeah. In Europe, right? Which, and if you look at our fullbacks, in international obviously, terms, yeah. yeah. In international terms. So the, the headline was, we basically have uh, among the best back fours in Europe. Wherever I read it online, that was the headline. And it, was, it immediately struck me. Like when was the last time we had a manager who was abs- absolutely extolling like the the positives and the qualities of our team rather than Martin O'Neill saying we don't have Robbie Keane trap basically saying to all of our players we have to play in the structure because we're not good enough. Mick was very pragmatic. 
Big Jack had us playing a style of football that was absolutely horrible and basically ended Liam Brady's uh, international career because he couldn't fit into the system. And all of a sudden, with, with what you know has long been hailed as a fairly average bunch of players, you now have a manager who's immediately saying, oh, yeah, what a back four we have, you know, and, and, and talking up players that aren't even necessarily playing. And I, for me, while it's not surprised, I found that really, really refreshing because you'd imagine... So you'd imagine some of the defenders were, were reading the headlines and going like, yeah, actually, we, we just never heard that before. Well, yeah, I mean, like, at times, I mean, managers would have hailed individual players like Seamus Coleman, for example, would have been described as world class, you know, at times. But that was only certain managers and certain times and certain players rather than collective. And as I said, yeah, but like that, you know, often when they said that, Johnny, like they were responding to a bad result or something, mm. you know, like it wasn't like Martin O'Neill came in on the first day and, and really said that it was more so in response to criticism. It became a, a, a form of, of self-preservation or self-defense. And well, what do you expect from me here? You know? And so, and I do think, and I hope, as I said earlier, that's that Stephen Kenny remains the same, but like, let's just say he loses his first match two or three nil, you know, the, the, the temptation will be to, to blame it on something or to, you know, just that, that, you know, you, you, that, that's human nature. Like when you're, when you're, when you're ruffled in that emotional period after a match or when, you know, you're, you're, you're before a match and people are saying, well, this didn't play well last week. And that was often the times that the managers would come out and talk about what they didn't have. And yeah. So, so like five months out from the game, it's easy for Kenny in a way to talk about everything in his last half full terms. Well, but I, yeah. I hope, but I hope that he maintains that. And to be fair, like you know, you look at Dundalk in 2016, he would always speak about the belief of players. At the same time, he would often point out that the Zenit team cost X amount of million and um, you know Alkmaar or whatever. And while he was saying that his team can be as, as, good, as, as good as them or whatever the, the language might have been, by throwing in stuff about figures, you are still sort of subtly letting people know. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, we're, we're punching them over away a small bit. But I think there's a balancing act, as I said, that like, the real test of that positivity will be if things are choppy and, he, and he's still saying, well, we still have the best back four in Europe or, or you know, one of the best back fours in Europe. But I, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I hope that that's his that he maintains that belief that, you know, that we're not talking about needing to stick in a game and, and nick one. And that when Ireland are playing a big match, that this is, um, this is, this is the way he's speaking, you know. Um, but that would be the test of time. But anyway, Mark Rossler was our, our third guest in this sort of a Kenny special. And um, Mark came later down the line because it's very hard to talk about the Kenny years without talking about the Dundalk years. And... Uh, I suppose long for Derry Dundalk are nearly the three big success stories of his League of Ireland time. I know he had a good spell at Bowes as well too, but these are the three. So, yeah, Mark Rossiter uh, joined in that uh, at the end of winter 2012, January 2013, when Stephen Kenny inherited a team that was rock bottom, started from scratch and needed to, 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 to get some players in. And uh, Mark Rossler was, was on the list of people he called. And as I started off by asking Mark, yeah, I wanted him to reflect on that first phone call with Stephen Kenny, because that can often be a bit of an experience in itself. I, I had played uh, for Pats the following year, or the previous year, and I tore my cruciate in the May. So then the end of the season came and I was fully fit. And I suppose, look, I went to the out-of-season camp with the PFAI, went and played against Malahide, and Stephen came up to, to, to watch the game. So he gave me a phone call then soon after. We met at the City North Hotel. 
And I was there, I suppose, for the best part of an hour and a half with him, having a cup of tea. And I'd say there was probably seven minutes of conversation total. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> At least now. <laughs> um, I were those know, seven he, minutes towards the end or were they sort of spread out across the hour and a half, if you get me? It, it, unfortunately, it wasn't all together. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was throughout the, the 90 minutes we spoke for, I'd say, seven or eight um, it's, it's a like strange as if thing had... with him though isn't it because he, he takes so long to deliberate over what he's going to say yeah it's like as if he asks you a question you answer it and he thinks of the next 10 questions and the answers you may have so he'll have a follow up answer or a question to what you may say um, but I, I had met him so I didn't find that uncomfortable at all because I had, I had known him for from I suppose a previous time so I was well aware of what was coming <laughs> I suppose I, I, like it's funny because dressing rooms are, are are sort of you know they can be tough environments and tough places and like I, I know you hear the stories of players for the first time just cannot get their head around this yet like clearly like it worked it's almost like the quirks are, are sort of affectionate in a way when people talk about them but there must be some players that met it and were like what the hell is going on and it wasn't it wasn't for them it was it was one of them things I suppose when you were in the dressing room and you'd seen them I suppose, say the first year at Dundalk and then new players would sign and never see what he's like in a dressing room. It's like as if all eyes will go on to this character to see how he's going to react. Mm. Um, because like at one minute he could be say talking to Dan Massey beside me and he's turn, turning around telling me he's the best left back in the world. And the next minute, and he's speaking softly, and the next minute he's shouting in my face, spitting on you as he's talking to you. Because he, I suppose, he delves into each character and what works for them. So some yeah. people obviously need an arm around them, and some people need a lot of spit on their face to get them going. I suppose, but uh, <laughs> no, he's. I love him. I think he's class. I think he's brilliant in everything he does. That is the key thing as well with him, isn't it? That he treats people as individuals. Because like the the old coach who kind of shouts and balls isn't going to work anymore. It, it doesn't. You have to, and I suppose you know. I suppose. I suppose players that played in the 70s, 80s were the, they were dealt with in a certain situation. Now everybody's a lot more, and I suppose the focus is a lot more people are complex characters. And I suppose you, you don't get away with, uh, I suppose at a younger level, I suppose, you know, they'll talk about bullying and stuff like that, but you can't. It's it, people don't react to that anymore, and I suppose you have to change your ways. And maybe you know Stephen has addressed that in a huge way and treats every player as an individual. And has they has from I suppose um, the time when when I started with Dundalk, he was doing it then. So say nine years ago, he was doing that. Mm. Like, what do you make of the handover? I think you're in an interesting position here because you have great time. For Mick McCarthy, you've spoken before, but Mick McCarthy was very good for you at a particularly difficult time of, of you know of your career, and it seems like he was quite popular with the you know some of the players that were there. So, do you think it's going to be a strange one for Stephen at first going into a dressing room where maybe some people would have been fond of Mick? Mick seems the kind of you know player orientated person too. So, what do you make it a challenge that's going to face Stephen when he goes into this group, or maybe some people are, are trying to figure him out a bit? I, I don't uh, I look at I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of both. I don't feel that it's I, I would have kept making place till after 
because there's probably players there that may retire after international football at the end of this campaign, maybe. Um, it gives Stephen a clean slate to go in and work off what he wants from day one. I don't know what they're going to achieve by changing the management um, now. I don't think it gives Stephen ample time to get to know the players. I I, I don't see the... I, I really don't see the reason behind that they couldn't extend this contract for this game and then see what happens. I suppose I think, I think it's just Patrick, a doubt about when it'll be on. That's the problem. I think it'll, I get it'll that. not be the next game. So that's the I slight that. complication. You know? But I think they could have just put it on hold till this whole epidemic is gone, or pandemic is gone, and then take it from there and make, just, I suppose, uh, a more calculated decision on it just, rather just than on, doing just, it. On that, actually, because there's been a lot of people like, you know, saying this ridiculous succession plan. And it's kind of easy to knock, you know, anything that John Delaney did at this stage. But I didn't actually have a real problem with the succession plan because I thought Kenny having the 21s was almost a perfect blooding for him. Is there going to be some negative for him that he's thrown in more or less straight into these two big games with a load of players that he's inherited and could it backfire quickly for him? I, I don't think it'll backfire quickly for him because I, I think he's done really, really well with the 21. So I think the, the players will take that on board. The, he's he's been like he's getting plotted throughout the, the way that they're playing and to see an Irish team get the ball down and and I suppose boss teams like Italy, who, you know, their team was worth over a hundred million uh, in transfers. So I, I think he's he's done wonders from that point of view. I just don't think he has a an opportunity to to blood in um, some of the 21s that have done really, really well for him that maybe they'll get a call up. And um, the, the lad who plays for Millwall. Malumbi. Malumbi. Yeah, Malumbi. like he, yeah. he should, like he's playing nearly week in, week out for Millwall. He should be in the squad, in, in my opinion. Um, I'm not saying playing, but he should have been... I suppose up and training with these boys on a, on a more, I suppose, on a basis where he's familiar with them on a, on a I suppose, day to day basis, let's say, um, from training with them. You know, Coventry has gone to Lincoln where um, El Bazali is there as well, where Zach is there. So, you know, if these boys are playing, Stephen would probably look to maybe blood them in slowly. Um, but I don't, I don't get what the FAI's decision, I suppose, like, they've, I, I don't think that they've made their correct decision. Yeah, I think, I think part of the complication the FAI probably faces is that, and Stephen's only got one, a one-term contract, so I think maybe to do what you're looking to do, they probably would have had to extend Stephen's initial contract, because, yeah. you, you know, from his position that, if he, if realistically, if you give over the Euros and we all hope Ireland qualifies for the Euros, then Stephen's time in the job actually only becomes one year um, yeah. with with maybe two World Cup qualifiers and all the Nations League under Mick. So to do that, they would have had to give Mick, or sorry, to give Stephen maybe longer when he hasn't already proved himself in the job. So I, I sort of sympathise where they're at, but I think it, it's a very important point to make and that we're naturally all quite positive here about Stephen and, and want Stephen to do well, but I have to, you know, accept some of the challenges he's going to face. And you, you speak there about how Stephen, you, you'd be looking to the new faces in the dressing room to see how they react to him. But he's going to be thrown into the group all at once. For It's going to be all of a sudden, you know, maybe 15, 20 lads. I know James McLean will know him, and I know some of the other League of Ireland lads will have encountered him. You're going yeah. to have 15, 20 lads encountering them for the first time, 
And is that something that you think is, that's going to be a challenge for him or for them almost to adapt to it straight away? Yeah, it, it will be. The, the, the lads have done really well to put themselves in the position that they're in. But, you know, some boys might take to it. You're looking at, you're going into lads who are premiership players, you know, championship players that are on big money. James McLean will probably speak very, very highly of the man um, because he's worked under him and know what he does um, from the outside in. And all I can hope is that he, I suppose, has a big enough voice um, that he can tell the lads to look at just buy into him and we'll, we'll get somewhere. Um, it'll just be, I suppose, Stephen, I suppose, ever since he, he took over Derry a long time ago, the, the style of play that he plays is attractive. You know, I, I, I suppose from players like Wes Houlihan, who've retired, um, probably would have hoped that Mick, came, or Mick Stephen came in 10 years earlier um, that could utilise him, Andy Reid, these boys that were naturally beautiful footballers. Um, you know, it, it, I suppose it's a, a waste from that point of view because he could have utilised them a lot better than they had. So just go to the dock that time then, because I remember going to the first game that season against Shamrock Rovers at home. And uh, Dundalk had been pretty dreadful for a couple of years. And I think there was a couple of moments in the first couple of minutes where Richie Towell dropped deep and took the ball after centre halves. And I, I, I think there was going to be several heart attacks near me in the stand from sort of people. And you could almost sense that, that atmosphere in the ground of what's going on here. I mean, from the early weeks of pre-season and you were sort of there as a second centre half or whatever that was it or, or were you or was that how I you played centre back with Andy Boyle yeah yeah, yeah. W- was it clear from the start that this is how you're going to play was this very much from day one okay here's your role I want you to do this as a centre half because I think his use of his defenders I think is going to be very interesting in the in the Ireland job I think yeah, it's 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 going to be a tough one you know you're looking at players that are I suppose told to play a certain way like say Jeff Hendrick, where he plays with Burnley, where he's uh, running off Chris Woods up top, um, where it could be effectively long ball into a target man and he's running. Like you're not going to be doing that. Like tactically, you're going to have to be very good in your position and be good in in possession of the ball. Here's where I suppose a problem with Robbie Brady, who ability-wise is as good as anyone we have in the squad, but he's not playing week in week out with Burnley. So you know he'll probably be happy that Stephen's taking the job from a football point of view. However, if he's not playing, it's going to be hard to put him in a team if he's not fit. Um, McLean has done wonders since Mickey O'Neill has gone in as, as Stoke manager, albeit he shouldn't be on social media. Um, but uh, no, it's it's. Uh, I think it'll be good. I just think the timing is bad. Yeah, I, I find that very interesting. Sorry, Dan, I find Dan's question is interesting. The centre-back situation for me is fascinating because that is one area where potentially we we're going to be very strong in the future. And how vulnerable would the likes of Duffy be because he's not really that great on the ball? Um, I think he can work around that. If he has somebody that can play on the ball beside him, possibly. Um, I don't think you can take Duffy out. Duffy's been amazing. So I think he can work around that. Okay. Um, you know, if you've got good boys on the ball, not necessarily centre-backs. Look, at it, he won't try and change Duffy as a player. He'll just try and, I suppose, get him to utilise the ball a little bit better. Give it to Shamey Coleman or Matt Doherty or whoever's on that side. Um, get it out to your full-backs rather than using it, you know, playing between centre-halves. Just be careful if you're playing into your centre-midfielders. And I, I suppose if there's a straight ball on into a centre-forward where you can play it on the ground, 
rather than slinging a long ball or slinging diags, then, you know, do it. He'll, he'll make the game as simplistic as possible for him, but not necessarily that he, he will have to go, you know, long or he'll be looking at intricate triangles and stuff like that. He won't overcomplicate the game for him. In terms of Stephen as well, as finally, Mark, like, before we let you go, that because he's quite a unique character, as we've mentioned, and he has sort of his quirks, how important are the staff around him as well? That, like, he's got Keith Andrews and Damian Duff in there now, that as well, maybe for some players at first who it takes them time to adjust to aspects of his, of his style, that, you know, the role at the number two and the, the number three as such will also play in terms of the messaging around the group. Yeah, like uh, Keith Andrews, I suppose, has worked with him since he took the 21's job, so knows everything that he's about. And any of the 21 boys that I've spoke to, they've they've got nothing but unreal things to say about Keith Andrews as a coach and as a person. Um, Damien Duff, I don't know in any capacity, so I can't comment on, I suppose, his dealings with Stephen. Um, but regardless, you've got Andrews and Duff who have over 100 caps between them for Ireland. You know, they're, they're going to command that respect from a player's point of view because Damien Duff is arguably one of the best players we've ever produced. So he's um, he's going to command that respect from the players. So look, you know, from a staffing point of view, he's done really well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I really am. But I'm just, I'd be just sceptical at the time and I really would because... If if Stephen goes in and I don't I don't know if he can change philosophy from what Mick was doing too much because he doesn't have time to do so. He is so between a rock that, and a hard place in a way. Isn't that it? more or less. I I literally I think Stephen. I I'd be hoping that from a media point of view to turn around and say that you know Stephen you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain here, but unfortunately as supporters we want to qualify and I don't. I, I don't know how if 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 we don't give a good performance, we might get the right result. But if if we don't get the a good performance, I'd be skeptical to know what the the fans will will think of that. That was Mark Roster there. I I have a small theory about this, which kind of is a little bit counterintuitive. But I think uh, Kenny, what Kenny did at Dundalk and what Kenny did at Longford, Dan, was in a way easier to achieve than if he took over a successful team in that, as you said, with the Longford job, nobody wanted it. When he took over Dundalk, it was a complete blank slate. There was no expectation at either job. So when Vinnie Perth took over Dundalk, they had all these riches, but he was following on like, you know, Alex Ferguson and David Moyes or whatever. He was following on from like an unbelievably successful manager. And it's interesting that, um, as you mentioned, like these successes were kind of at teams that maybe needed a massive injection. There wasn't massive expectation at the time. And he was able to kind of mold these players together and say, like, you know, you're kind of on the scrap heap here, but I believe in you. And is there an element to that with Ireland, do you think? I, know, I don't think there's a real, a real comparison, no. I don't think there's any comparison between the job he takes now and, and the Irish one. They um, are at a low end, though. They're not really. They're not, by not they're taking over after Martin O'Neill would have been like that. Okay, it's slightly different, and like I mean, Mark Ross there offered the view that he thought Mick should have got the chance to to stay, and there that couldn't have worked, then, could but, it? But no, I, I don't think it would have worked contract wise. It was too complicated. But I think that I wouldn't be surprised if there's players within the dressing room who'd agree with that. Mm. So if you're taken over at the complete rock bottom, low ebb, uh, then you don't have anyone thinking that way. So I, I don't think that that's really. I don't think there's a comparison there at all. Um, 
How confident are they Ireland players when they take when they take the pitch? Well, I think that, yeah, but I think the like the, their last. Like, I think that you're we're placing a lot of stock on what footballers think. I mean, it's it's ten months. By the time Ireland play, it'll be the, it'll be ten months since their last international match. Mm. And their last international match, the one that they've had the most time to dwell on, which is their last one, is the one that they actually feel they played well in and could have won. Mm. So I don't think that they are like uh, an emotionally scarred group of players. In, they don't. They lack confidence, though. Like, how can um, how could they go out to Tbilisi and play like that? These are these are decent enough players. They, they no, there's obviously the been ball. a mentality and a mindset there over time. But we would speak to to you know sort of pundits and and, and ex Ireland players who would say that like that there's some midfielders who are meant to set the tone, who actually, it wasn't as if they weren't being instructed to, to be positive under Nick McCarthy. It's just that they are almost gripped by this, some kind of collective fear when they play. So Florida. whose fault is that? That they, that they don't take responsibility. Well, it's almost like it's a long, it's like a long-term malaise mm. of something that's set in. But I, I don't know if it's as simple that they're all just low on confidence. I think Nick McCarthy tried to give Jeff Hendrick loads of confidence. He started off actually quite well. Like, like the you know Georgia game uh, in Dublin, uh, whatever your view and the, the merits of it, but there's no doubt that, that Hendrick and Conor Harrahan did quite well. Yeah. In that match. And yet they couldn't follow it up across the year. And like Kenny has spoken a lot about patterns of play and, and how you, that rather than just saying, and this is one of the things with O'Neill, O'Neill and, and Keane, Roy Keane, they, they, they just expected players to be great players. And that you go out there and, yeah, they, they never. It's not as if they told players to go out there and boot it or not look for it. I don't. I don't actually believe that that was ever the case. They expected of them. I think they expected of them without necessarily uh, drilling into them, uh, drilling into players who weren't as good as they probably were. Um, how you maybe should do that, or how you how if you are maybe playing against a stronger team, how you manufacture a situation where you. Uh, control the ball or try and control the ball, and, and Kenny spoke about it yesterday about you know there's like how he, it's not just it's not as if he, again he sent out as the dog team and go there you go and I just go out and pass it you're good players off you go like there was obviously a, a thinking behind it and you know Kenny is always this is why like again I think there's some misconceptions about how a Kenny team might operate I think it, there's no doubt that his the defenders like a big part of his defenders will be. The, the importance of their ability to step forward and, and play a pass into midfield. If you're playing against a team, teams often press high against Ireland because they think they're not that good in the ball. So if you press the defenders, they'll boot it. They'll give it back to you. And that's what you do. And you, you would see, I remember in the early minutes in Alkmaar with Dundalk, you saw Alkmaar sort of pushing on to Dundalk. And there's a few moments early on, I think, where Gartland and, uh, and Boyle picked a couple of passes out to O'Donnell and they played their way out of trouble. And all of a sudden then, uh, once you play through the press, you've actually got opportunities. And, yeah. you, you know, you went from there. And so, like, people say, well, Shane Duffy's going to struggle. And I've heard this discussion, you know, well, Shane Duffy might struggle because he doesn't take a pass. But the argument would be, well, actually, you know, Duffy would be encouraged to just get the ball out to the fullbacks and let them do it. But it's not as if he's going to be cast adrift completely. But, but like, John Egan would be central in terms of yeah. that. But also, it, like, so, so, like, there's ways in which you, as he said, you overload midfield in which you give yourself that control. So You, you, you mentioned the defenders there getting on the ball and Stephen O'Donnell and Alkmaar, but who's going to be the Irish midfielder who is that Stephen O'Donnell who's basically the most important player in that team in terms of getting on the ball? And but, that's, 
that's that's the question. But like you know, and and, and like who who is going to be the most comfortable as almost that type of yeah, that number six or whatever number you want to put in it. Like you know, Malumbi is a box to box player. Actually, some of Malumbi's attributes wouldn't necessarily tie in with that. You'd have Connor Coventry. He might Absolutely, do some yeah. of the more higher link work. So you know, would it be would it be James McCarthy? Funny, I remember years ago. Um, I, I went over to Stephen Kenny when he was at Dunfermline and I went over to a piece. And uh, at that time, he was raving about this young kid at Hamilton called James McCarthy, funnily enough, who was a teenager in Scotland at the time. And I always remember Stephen Kenny saying to me around that time, yeah, like he's, you know, he's a good player, you know, but he's tough as well. Like he, he didn't just see the, the attributes in him that others had, you know, I oh, scored a lot of goals. James McCarthy bizarrely scored a lot of goals at that period. He was, he was viewed almost as a Stephen Gerrard type player, but... Um, he's well, a player like, that actually could flourish under. He, he could be that link type of player um, who, who could function in that way because uh, like, there's a discussion point as to where is the best place for Hendrick and Harrahan. Like, I think Robbie Brady will play a big part. You mentioned mm. him. I think he, he can't understand how someone that creative uh, who he respects has suddenly ended up and, and actually ended up, I think, pretty aggrieved. One of the few players who probably wasn't madly unhappy to see Mick go, I'd say, would be Robbie Brady. I'd just speculate. Um, and on the League of Ireland front um, I'm not sure there are any League of Ireland players who are going to get a major look in there what do you think? Yeah I, I think he was asked about and he, and he, has to, he said he's not going to discriminate uh, he wants players at the highest level possible and that's natural but I think if someone emerges that fits his style I don't think he'll be afraid it's unusual like he, he spoke a bit about his 11 v 11 how he likes to do 11 v 11 training sessions you know against um, so he will get Damien Duff to almost manage Finland and set out his second eleven, who will sit, who will go out in Finland's formation, uh, and and play against Kenny's eleven, and mm. that's you know, to see. And, and Keith Andrews will observe it and and see problems. And then likewise, you know, Andrews will manage Bulgaria against Ireland and put out eleven. So like the second eleven players mightn't be too impressed if they're sort of uh, they're engaging in role play all the time. But he, he probably would have an idea about maybe what type of players he needs in his squad and whatnot. And I think with the twenty ones. He would occasionally bring in homegrown players uh, at times, you know, to fill out sessions. And so, so I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll see where Jack Byrne stands um, in, in his plans. Um, it's hard to know. Uh, I think the, the player that I think would have the best chance within the league would be someone like Michael Duffy because he likes his positive attacking wingers. I mean, but there's a quite a few. Um, I did a piece with Zach Albazetti this week. Uh, people wonder would Daryl Horgan come back in? I think he'd probably have a chance of being back around squads, but uh, I think Kenny has a regard for O'Dowda, for Callum Robinson. Um, but I think maybe, yeah, if, if the players that might have a chance, well, he's mentioned Talbot, obviously, you know, and, and, and someone who might be around squads as well. But I think maybe the more uh, attack minded fullbacks and, and, and wingers that if there's one or two injuries, would Sean Gannon, would he have a problem with bringing Sean Gannon into a squad? Maybe not, but I don't think you're not going to see it just for the sake of it. I think, I think, ironically enough, we are at a stage where suddenly we have a, we have a, a a young generation of players based in England coming through at a good level over there. Yeah, and I've always meant I've always made the point about League of Ireland players when people go on about it, like it's not because they're League of Ireland players; it's because there's a weakness in a particular position, and you know they are the best available and. Jack Byrne fitted a position in the squad that Ireland don't have a lot of number 10s. When Shawnee Maguire was starring in 2016, we didn't have a, 
you, you could look down to four leagues in England at that time and say who was scoring goals. There wasn't many. Uh, and, and that's why Maguire, Horgan in 2016, was doing it in the Europa League. And I think Kenny also said about League of Ireland players as well that if they're doing it in Europe, yeah. that's a high bar. So all of a sudden, whenever this European campaign takes place this year, it might be October before the early, like October could be the new July in terms of European mm. games. I think if you suddenly have a player starring against European opposition, some young player now who, who comes to the fore, Ferrugia or whoever, whoever it might be, that younger player, um, then I think that's when Kenny will, will consider them and, and, and that will only be right. But, do, you know, do you know what's, um, I suppose, the most profound point of all of this for me is that I've gone through the motions in terms of following the Irish international team for a long, long time now. And I, I, I admit that I, I, maybe I was wrong, maybe I was right. But like when I was a kid, I watched Big Jack's team and I, I always remember thinking Ireland will always have a good chance of getting an equaliser here. We had a great attitude. Didn't really realise that the football we were playing wasn't great to watch or whatever. And you go through all the other managers, you know, I suppose the Mick's first era was was definitely the high point. But for years now, I've I've been indifferent about Ireland in many ways. I don't enjoy watching them play. Um, granted, the, there was a detachment from the League of Ireland. That didn't, uh, over time, the, the League of Ireland became more profound. But just wasn't really enjoying watching it. And if Ireland lost the game, I, I wouldn't necessarily feel you know that down about it. But I think for me, and this isn't necessarily just because I'm a League of Ireland fan, I, I'm absolutely buzzing to watch Ireland now. And this is just from watching the 21s and from having a great time for Kenny. But also just the fact that Duff is coming in, who I think is uh, it could be an incredible manager if if the you know if if the reports are right. Obviously, Andrews has done very well, but just everything about me, I'm so excited by this from a position of being like essentially going through the motions for years following Ireland. Yeah, you've definitely kept that excitement under the radar, anyway, John. You know, mm. well there you are. <laughs> you've been you've been open enough about it, I think. But I think a lot of people. It's also are... the players, Dan, as well. Though. If Stephen Kenny were taking over a bang average bunch of of Ireland players with yeah. nothing coming through, there's there's only so much he can do. Yeah. I even think a, it's lo- a lot of people. A lot of people are feeling that way. A lot of people are feeling that way. I mean, it's a strange one for me. I mean, I like over the last I've covered Ireland. I've been at every single Ireland match, home, away, friendly whatever it might be, for, what, 14 years now. Um, every, so I've been at every single one. And my first one in a working capacity, uh, as in on the Irish end of B, I've been to, to games in Dublin, freelancing and stuff before. But my first proper one as like a football correspondent at the end, though, was the 5-2 in Cyprus. All right. The, the nightmare in Nicosia. And almost throughout my time covering the team, they have been a bit of a punch bag, a sort of a bit of a national joke at times and while there was there was high points in there you know Euro 2016 and and even Paris and and an early trap you know was exciting in its own way not the football though but just because he was he was box office trap he's mm. one of the top managers of all time no matter what you think of him yeah um so there, there have been highs um but it, there almost has been this indifference and this whole sense it's, it's ran in tandem but maybe some rugby highs and this view of well, this isn't entertaining, and also, I mean, the Delaney years as well, which is which definitely didn't help the image of Irish football when team wasn't great to watch, and then like almost the biggest theatre was this fella throwing ties into the ground or into the crowd or like uh, bringing his new misses and their entourage into the stands, and the cameras are on that because they're the stars as much as the players, and and I mean, Kenny said yesterday he's not a celebrity, he's a coach, and what you need 
what football always needs to be about is players and um, not 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 the noise around it so it is interesting like i am i'm excited but i guess there's a bit of a caution from experience because the national team is is it, it there is we because, because unfortunately we don't like the, it's it's the, it's often the main team in the country that everyone supports that everyone's on the same page it's not like in england where you know there's large swathes of club fans who who don't care at all about the international team. I think over here the international matches are still events that, that people watch, and or in recent times uh, that people mainly just uh, go on Twitter and complain about when they're on about how shit they are. Like that's been that's almost been the national experience now. Like you watched the Big Jack documentary recently boys and green documentary in 1990 was it was an amazing place in time it's a good thing everyone wasn't spending their, their, their periods during the game uh tweeting their thoughts as it went along or taking pictures on their phone but that was a time when people but but it's a different tone of discussion around the senior team now it's way more cynical like if italian 90 happened again if a team out of the quarterfinals it would not be as enjoyable it would not be as raw it never would be as raw uh, it's just just, just the, the news cycle now it just it's way shorter and and this is the thing that the, the excitement that exists about Kenny now can turn very quickly and like that's that's the one thing and you have the live line generation you have the uh, the the mid market entertainment current affairs presenters who just care about results and nothing else and would have said Irish football was in great health when they qualified for we beat Germany Euro, Euro 2012. You know, when, when Monaghan were going I do to think it's, um, so, so, I do think it's fascinating just what you referenced. Yeah, what you referenced earlier, Kenny's kind of take on the Charlton era. I think that that is a beautiful kind of starting point for any article on Kenny's kind of, you know, challenge in the road ahead because, you know, we're, we're probably a bit too young for this, but were there that many dissenting voices when we were doing our stuff, you know, in the Jack era? Because you can look back on that in two ways. Like Jack was probably a very bad thing for Irish football and other things and I, in other ways. And I think Kenny would definitely, um, I think he said he didn't even go to the games because he just didn't like the way they played. Yeah, yeah. Like I, said, I mean, I've, I've, I mean, I'm doing a piece at the moment looking back on the Euro 92 campaign, which will hopefully be out tomorrow. And so I've read, read loads of articles. How did that go? I've read loads of archive stuff and I spoke to Niall Quinn about it and um, but into the archives and it's interesting like Jack played 4-5-1 away in Poland uh, for that, which actually ended up being a three-all draw in 91 mm. but he had this thing before the game that a draw was a better result than a win uh, because this was to do with uh, England were up against Ireland there was two points for a win and Poland played England on the last day and his logic was we need England to drop points in the last day. And if we beat Poland, they're out of the competition. So they'll, you know, so it was just a bit of a convoluted thing. But as it happened, Ireland ended up missing out by a point and missing out on goal difference. Sorry, mm. the goal difference was better in England. They're one point behind them. So if they hadn't given away the goals in Poland, they would have gone through. Yeah. But the whole point was that there was a very uncritical tone to the coverage. I mean, Dunphy did. That's why Dunphy became a name because he was so different. But almost there was a lot of acceptance that even when the team gave away a 3-1 lead to draw 3-all, it didn't really get that much stick, you know, because Charlton had the credit in the bank. Whereas now, regardless of what we think of Stephen Kenny, and if a team went 3-1 up away and conceded two goals, it would be a meltdown in terms of the reaction to it. So, you know, it's a very different tone and discussion and debate around the team. And also as well, people were so used to winning that they didn't really care that much about the football being too bad until... It didn't suit them. Ironically, in that campaign, Ireland played some of their best football. That's why it's interesting. Played at Wembley, famously played 
almost charged in the half time was saying, where did that come from? Almost laughing. Mm. And then Ireland played Poland, the home, drew with them. And the pitch, which did the, the long grass and the crappy pitch, which was a big asset against Spain and various teams, Ireland drew it nil all a home of Poland and all the coverage afterwards was about how the pitch had hindered them. It's ironic <laughs> because that pitch, yeah. when it was crap, you loved it on a, on a certain day. But anyway, it's a different time. We've gone on a bit of tangent, but like my, my general point is that, yeah, there's a great buzz around Kenny now, but I've seen how it swings and there are skeptics out there um, who, who just always seems to be a class of Ireland fan that I encounter that, that they get on board with one manager like a political candidate so the, the, the pro-trap people were, were very much against O'Neill no matter what he did. And then when I went from O'Neill to McCarthy, there was the people, the faction who still were supportive of O'Neill. And then Ireland were bad in Gibraltar saying, like, well, the O'Neill people are like, well, you complain. I mean, this is what you get. And it's almost like the, the manager has become part of some, uh, it's almost like they're a political candidate. It's like one is... One is well, uh, on that then, right? So, 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 so Kenny, the minute there's people out there who have already decided... But if but Stephen Kenny doesn't do well, they, they've already decided the reasons. The reasons, <laughs> if, if Stephen Kenny doesn't do well, it'll be because of his League of Ireland background, the players don't respect him, blah, blah, blah. Whereas actually, the reasons where he, if he does badly, it might be for completely different reasons, tactical mm. reasons, something else. But that you is... need the, a bit of luck as well. That, that's the narrative that, that, would be, that would be crafted no matter what. But it's, uh, it's exciting times anyway. We're, we're going to wrap up shortly. When, when does the League of Ireland return, down? When are we going to watch football again? Don't give know, me the Johnny, answer. Come on, give me the answer. No, I don't think we should speculate. I don't, I don't think it's helpful to speculate, really. Because, like, you know, you, you, every, every day... You get different reports. They are still planning towards June 19. A friend of mine was betting on Tajikistan games the other day. Yeah, well, I mean, seek help, you know, but like... You know him uh, well. <laughs> I think that... Uh, <laughs> I bet one as well, actually. It was not, most certainly not me. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, if you have any information, let me know. But, like, <laughs> but you know, did the... the, the, the I, I don't know, during the 19th, there, is, there, there was a suggestion that, that the stance towards closed doors games might have softened a small bit. I just don't think our stadiums are good enough to look good behind closed doors. Who cares though? It's not, it's not promotion. Johnny, 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 what you have to understand that if the League of Ireland is starting to go back behind closed doors, then there's every chance that at the same time, Premier League, other leagues are going behind closed doors. Like the Premier League are talking today. I saw that, or the, I think it was in one of the English newspapers today, between the various leagues, like there's a mad like it was a five four hundred or five hundred and thirty three games in X amount of days. There's mm. basically going to be football every day of the week in England when it comes back, and that's a problem for the League of Ireland. Yeah, it's a massive problem. So all of a sudden, your closed doors games will not look as good as other closed doors games in in certain backdrops. And if you come back with closed doors games when no one else in the in 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 this part of the world is playing, well, there's a different debate about people's willingness to pay and stream for that. But if you come back to closed doors games when, when society is returning to normal and phases and actually you can't open stadiums, but people can still now suddenly go to parks and go out and about. This idea that people are going to stay in and, and pay big amount of money to do it. To me, it's, 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 it's not, not viable and I would not be in favor of it, but businesses need to operate. Games need to be played and it's possible it may go to that, but I would be worried about, I wouldn't be enthused about the prospect of that. I would hope that, when football returns, it will be with crowds and what the selling point is, you know, this is an, ex- let's go and ex- experience a match day again. And I think that when that does happen, crowds are going to be good, but the, 
that's part of the reason that you would be and here's here's my term. case for it right so um effectively there are fans of say your your average game in the in the premier division which may be bows are at home to for example walford or whatever right so you have bows and walford fans who haven't seen their team play for months um, they they probably happily pay 10 15 euro i think a lot of them will stream that game bows could stream the game they could also get revenue by having like few sponsors here or there just to bulk it up it's 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 a big part of a fundraiser daily mount should be reasonably well equipped in terms of what you need to stream that now whether the same works in how Ferry, many people Ferry are going to pay i don't know like i mean if you but if you look at the the two sets of fans right and the amount of fans like who would buy streams that live abroad or live elsewhere anyway um i don't know a figure but i i i, I would hope that it's better than you think because people are so starved of football and also they want to help the club at a different who gets time. the money um, that would have to be decided whether it's just the home team gets the money. I don't know. It would have to be equal amount of games home and away, obviously. See, like the more you think about it, the more complicated it gets. Well, what's if if, if it's going to be no football at all? So if we're going to have only football returning when there are crowds, and I would imagine we're going to have a very staggered uh, resumption of normality. If we're only going to wait for games in front of crowds, I'd say we might as well just scrap the season. Well, I mean that that's that's unfortunate when it becomes a possibility. Like this is this is this is. This is the thing, you know. Like, I, 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 listen, we're not people. Racing is going ahead behind closed doors in various jurisdictions, and I imagine football will be that. I'm not as worried about the, the. Okay, Johnny, we're not Johnny. Johnny, we're not right. Like, we're not health experts. People are are, are listening to a lot of stuff. They don't need no, to hear I'm, those. I'm, I'm not as worried about the aesthetics of it. We'll say as the how the ground looks, as just the games getting played and some sort of resumption. Do you know what I mean? No, I appreciate that, but like, I also think that. Um, Okay, but if that involves tra- travel for teams, like how is that going to work? You know, like I, I just think you know you, you still need to even play behind closed doors. You need certain amount of people, you know, within the ground. And w- once one person suddenly has a case, the whole thing is screwed again. You know, so I, I would prefer to return when you feel like you're in a position that 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 you know it's it's, it's as close to normality as possible. But that may mean a longer wait. Um, mm. Look, we are one of the things that there's no doubt, and it's been my view probably since the start of this. We are a bit luckier um, that our league is is that the, the outlay is a bit smaller, and the businesses can't stay closed forever. But there's no doubt that the government schemes, uh, relative to the championship and what's going on over there in England, it's it's terrifying those figures that they spend, and it's mm. coming home to roost to a degree. Um, a lot of our clubs can get by under these schemes, but they, you know, they, yeah. can't get, they can't get by forever and we just miss it in our life. We also have the benefit of the extremely long off-season that we always give out about has given us a little bit of a cushion to obviously extend the campaign if it ever comes back. But I would hope that um, in, in the context of whatever staggered resumption of normality we have, I hope that um, sport kind of is, is given favourable, um, you know, I suppose given some sort of a favourable um, position from the government because it is so important, but uh, we shall see anyway. I, I, I just hope it's back sooner or later. I would I would definitely pay to, to I would 100% pay to watch games. I would not, not only go in night games, I just pay to watch any games at this stage. I'm so starved. You, I think but, there I are, you, but Johnny, I, I can say it to you again, I know you would, but you're not the target demographic either. Mm. You're very passionate about the league don't have kids running around the house with you there or whatever it might be. You know, you're not like just you're, you're, it's not just all going to be people in our bracket that are, that you need to pay for this to work. There's other people, but you know, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the, the debate. And I think that 
I would have dismissed the idea of closed doors games completely. I'm not ruling it out now. I mean, I think it is possible. I would personally have reservations, but I don't think it's it's off the agenda completely. You know, we all have reservations, I suppose. But anyway, uh... what, what about what about the Cork City naming rights story? Have you seen that that the possibility of Turner's Cross being renamed? Yeah, um, naming rights. I, I mean, that does go to show that, and I know that this may not necessarily be related to the crisis, but um, that 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 you know, the club is obviously there's still work going on and and things to do. And I know it's the, the Cork City and the Monster FA. Um, it, it, there is, you know, this is draw the United put out something about an artificial pitch possibly as well. Mm. But clubs can use this break to think about maybe strategies and things. And I, I spoke to someone you know, outside of the football, of the league, but who'd previously been involved in the league, he was saying that this long break, that this is a chance maybe for clubs to think about getting projects Take done. Stock. They can't always get done because of, as much as we have a long season, it's harder to get stuff done, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of naming stadia in general, unless it's a new ground, which doesn't have any kind of history. I hate the fact everyone calls Lansdowne Road the Aviva. I mean, the very idea that you call a ground that has been called Lansdowne Road because of its geographical location for so long, and then you call it the Aviva, as if Aviva is this cuddly term, like when it's actually an insurance joint. Uh, I, that's never rested easy with me. Call United calling Terryland Park, Eamon DC Park, is a completely different thing honouring a legend doing it for financial reasons you know the Eddie had the, you know I just I, I'm not I've never been a fan but I guess uh, that's Johnny, I, honestly it's not something that's ever bothered me I have mm. to admit like I think that I mean I, I heard Needs most Kerry, and all that I heard Declan Carey say they, they want to retain the traditional name now unfortunately like something park uh, like retaining Turner's, park. Turner's Cross is a hard one to retain in a name like you know that the Harvey Norman Turner's Cross you know like I, I don't mm. see how it's 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 not the most you know tidy one but people are still going to refer to it colloquially as you're going to enter the cross later on or whatever it might be yeah you know yeah. I mean they do have the, the they don't call the shed the Joe Delaney stand which is probably just as well really but like you know like, like there's, there's naming deals and there's traditions as well and I have to admit, for me, like the, the the amount of times that that name is read out on the news and whatever, it it is a, a, a viable enough advertising tool, and it doesn't doesn't bother me or trouble me as much. But maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm more of a heartless capitalist than you are. No, well, I wouldn't say that, but I just, I mean, what isn't for sale in the end? You know, I mean, is there any kind of, um, I suppose. I, I prefer if we didn't to. want to do it, but like, mm. I prefer if we didn't have to do it. But I mean, the, the name and rights of the Aviva is absolutely massive for Irish football. It's, it's the least of their worries, to be they, fair. They, yeah, like, it's a big deal, though. You know, um, as I'm saying, like, you know, like the, a lot of people will be out of work in Irish football without it. So mm. um, there's, there's, there's traditions, but there's necessity as well. And I, it's not, you know, maybe if, if it's, and, and like, I know in England as well, it's, it's that, but it's a new stadium and it's obviously a bit different if you're renaming an old stadium and I don't really have an issue with a new stadium. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. Name. Yeah, like if, if Anfield were renamed, all, like, yeah. you know what I mean? If Anfield were renamed or Old Trafford, like, I mean, what's this? Whereas if you have a new stadium, like the Etihad Stadium or whatever, like, fair enough, it wasn't anything there beforehand. But before we wrap up, uh, give us your, your number one lockdown tip for kind of maintaining sanity and putting a bit of uh, structure into your day or week. Oh, Johnny, like we we should be preparing these questions beforehand. Like I don't was, know. This is it off the cuff, off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Like get out for a walk within the two k zone. Spend longer in the shower. What are we talking here? Uh, I've tried to develop some of my cooking skills. Actually, 
what have we got? Did a bit of a risotto the other day, you know, mm. you know, just a bit, you know, having a proper crack at sort of, you know, making a proper sort of burger, you know, that type of thing. What, what's in the burger? Uh, just ingredients, you know. So like, I don't want to go too much detail. It's obviously early days, like it's very early days, but uh, I don't know. I don't, cooking, I, cooking and and like, uh, you know, everyone's in your own veg or stuff like that. Yeah. I had, I had a situation where, um, got onto kind of a part of the building here that's effectively kind of an extension of the balcony, but the neighbours reported me yesterday and now the management company is saying, you're not actually allowed to go up there. And um, it's it's been very frustrating. I think there's this kind of let's report on your neighbour uh, type kind of, I don't know, atmosphere out there that never, it exists in like dictatorships, but it seems to be like, oh, I, I, I saw them there going down to, they, they, they have the caravan with them. I'm going to report them and all that. So what were you so doing on the roof? I was having... Back? Doing exercises and even having a bit of food and just sunbathing. It was absolutely stunning weather the last couple of days. But it's been reported. But were you like, the, is there a door out to the to the roof or whatever? You no, know, you just literally it's it's attached to my apartment, but it's kind of not accessible to anyone else. So it's only me that can get there. And so my neighbors next door, they made um, a, a pact with the company at the start 12 years ago that they would have that area and I didn't. So I've never really had proper access to it. I just didn't think anyone would care, to be honest. But obviously neighbours uh, are really worried about what their other neighbours are doing. Oh dear. Thanks for that. There you go. Well, listen, we, we should wrap up. I mean, this is a longer show than normal. Longest I mean, ever. Um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a different time. People might listen to this in, in patches and in phases. So of is Coke risotto or a burger that contains ingredients? That'll be up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually had to see, I've had a busy week this week, but would actually yeah. work. So next week I'll be in, a, you know, or whenever we return, I'll be in a better place to, to maybe deal with the, the drudgery of, of, of lockdown again, whereas um, you know, work has been a good distraction over the last week or so now that for them. Maybe you should put together some of your lockdown tips. and Sure. We'll get, get, a, get a few replies in and get it. we'll talk about it uh, when we're back uh, for the next podcast. Yeah, listen, it's been good. Good to catch up. Good to listen. And everyone out there, of course, to stay safe as well. Stay safe. Okay, we'll talk soon. But there are limits to your life.